0: No. <laughs> Good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, or good evening, whichever the case may be. Around this rotating globe, welcome to another edition, live of The Other Side of Midnight. That magical time between dusk and dawn, when we're not on the air, all kinds of things happen. You know, we probably should change the name of this show. No, don't all freak out. I'm not going to do it, but this is kind of a thought experiment out loud, to Uh, Something that we ran on the other side of midnight several years ago uh, when we had like five nights a week. How did we ever do five nights a week? We picked one night. I think it was Friday, and we did – that was the week that was. Well, if you kind of notice the stuff going on in the news that are applicable to really cutting-edge dramatic changes in the future – unprecedented news events things that we as a culture and as a planet have never lived through before and we'll go into a couple of them uh, more than a couple tonight um you would think that you know things would slow no they're not slowing down they are speeding up so let me kind of hit some of the high spots of things that we should be kind of uh, watching to see what could happen in the weeks to come uh for those of you who are new to the show and i know uh I did Clyde Lewis's show on uh, Friday night. They called me suddenly and said, uh, can you come on? Which in this business is a dead giveaway for the fact that some guests, you know, could not make it. Um, when we get to our guests, I'll tell you the one guest tonight that I really wanted that could not make it. But uh, that will change in the not-too-distant future, I hope. Anyway, um, so, so um, Ron called, uh, Ron Patton, who's his producer, and said, can you come on? So I did, and I spent two hours talking about the amazing things that happened earlier this week. So a lot of the people from Clyde's show probably are coming over to our show to kind of see what's going on tonight. So if you're new to the program, what you need to do is to call up on some device separate from whatever you're listening to uh, us on the air. Uh, you need to call up the other side of midnight, and you need to uh, – Uh, basically uh, log on. And then at the top, you will see a very nice banner, which is kind of cute. This one was designed by an AI. And so when Barbara pointed out to me uh, where it was, I went and grabbed it and used it for tonight's uh, banner because it's really kind of cute. The banner says Fox settles for 788 million. That's almost 800 million. 78.7.5, you round up and it's above 0.5 million or half a a million um, or 500 million. So you round up again. So it's almost $800 million. So we're going to talk about tonight what this means, what it might forebode for the future and some very unusual, may I even say, hyperdimensional things which have occurred since the settlement, which was only like a week ago. I mean, things are moving very, very fast. So if you click on that banner on the homepage, that will take you to the guest page. And right under the same banner on the guest page, you will see fast links to items, my name and Barbara Honiger's name. And I believe Marvin Jones is going to have a link. So Keith is going to change that. You want to click on my name under that banner on the guest page. That will take you to my items And item number one, as you may or may not know, earlier this week, literally just uh, uh, five days ago, on my birthday, yes, it was my birthday, I try not to remember them anymore. Anyway, on my birthday, the Japanese tried to land um, a commercial lander from a firm called iSpace, which carried two little rovers, one from... Um, One of the Arabian countries, I forget which, which Emirates uh, is trying to do something on the moon with Japanese help. And also there was a Japanese rover. The spacecraft crashed on the afternoon of the 25th, making a complete run of all the non-governmental programs that have tried to land on the moon for one reason or another have crashed. And all the deep state government programs, the US, the USSR, and China more recently, they've all succeeded. So given that the technology is the same, and given there is no secret sauce in the government programs, except maybe they know what's really on the moon, around the moon, covering the moon. And they're able to avoid the pitfalls or crashing into something on the way down. Don't dismiss that out of hand. Anyway, we're going to talk about this at a great length next weekend, um, probably on Sunday night, because Saturday is going to be a replay or a reschedule of part two of John Womack's amazing uh, investigation in Arches Park in Utah. Uh, with all those incredible monuments that look so much like Mars. Is there a connection? Well, we're going to work our way through John's research and his investigations, and we will bring it to you live next Saturday night. So um, on Sunday, we're going to reschedule or or schedule uh, another uh, space show. And this time we're going to talk about all of the craft that are non-governmental, which have mysteriously crashed. Why have they crashed? The moon should be no different for unmanned spacecraft using the same state of the art as as government spacecraft that use the same state of the art. Why are the government landers succeeding? And why are the non-government landers, those that have not signed non-disclosures about what is really on the moon? Those with uncensored cameras, those with freedom to speak about what is there. Why are they all failing? We will grapple with that with some new data next Sunday night. So mark it in your calendar. That is Mar May what fifth, sixth? Someone will tell me. Okay, I don't have a calendar in front of me, and I can't add when I'm doing a show. Item number two in Radio with Pictures in my items. As you know, another major space development occurred, this time I believe on Tuesday, when Elon Musk tried to launch, actually did launch rather spectacularly and successfully, his all-up booster and starship uh, from Boca Chico in Texas. And it worked great for four minutes, and then they had to blow it up. War out twenty or 25 miles out over the uh, Gulf of Mexico in terms of altitude. And as we you can see from the uh, uh, item in Florida today, there's a great deal of confusion on the net as to whether it was a success or a failure. You have to measure these things, if you're not a rocket scientist, in terms of what previous corporate or government or national space programs have done. The Musk team has adopted a very, very, very different philosophy than NASA, which tests and, tests and tests and tests and tests and tests again and retest. And that's why the price tag for the Artemis mission is on the order of, um, you know, a, a billion, two billion, something like that. And the price for the SpaceX Starship failure the other day was 100 million. And they've got a whole bunch of other rockets built just waiting to go back to the launch pad, which they're going to have to uh, probably redo totally. Anyway, all of this we'll discuss at great length next weekend, next Sunday, Sunday night, which I think is in fact the, uh, the 6th. Let me pop up a calendar here. I am on a computer and I should be able to do that. Um, no, it's in fact the 7th, um, definitely on the 7th of may seven days in may remember that great movie really super movie anyway um so next sunday night the 7th we'll be doing our next space uh show and we will have some interesting surprises regarding the moon regarding mars regarding private efforts and mainly putting the word out that the reason that the unmanned non-government spacecraft seem to be failing, unless you want to use the far out idea that maybe aliens are shooting them down, not, I don't buy that, not for a minute, is that the governments know something about the moon and landing on the moon, a secret sauce, a secret, you know, environmental detail that the un-government guys and gals don't. And given that they don't know it's there, they keep running into the same problem, which, as I've said many times before, is the fact that there is incredibly sparse, eroded, ancient dome around the moon, several tens of miles high. And in some places, it's much more holy, meaning you can get down through it safely, than in other places. And that's a long background discussion, which we will have next Sunday night. Um, item number two about the musk. If you look at it from Musk's perspective, it was an incredible success, and I'll tell you why. For one thing, these spacecraft have like a million, give or take, moving parts. All kinds of separate systems that all have to function to even get the damn thing off the pad, let alone 24 miles high in the sky. If you watch the live broadcast or the video, which you can easily Google, Uh, In fact, you can see it in that uh, item number two that I posted tonight. Um, The spacecraft, the rocket, functioned perfectly up until something critical called staging. Um, The Musk heavy lift launch vehicle on which the Starship sits atop is a two-stage vehicle, both of which are supposed to be reusable, meaning that in future flights, SpaceX will try to bring the uh, bottom stage, the first stage, back to the landing site and land it softly while the second stage or the spacecraft, the Starship itself, goes into orbit and then it ultimately comes back in, in a soft landing and is also recovered. Well, we will discuss all of this next week, but the reason that I say this was a tremendous success is because if you Google rocket launches and spectacular video catastrophes, you will find all over the internet, stunning film and video footage of all kinds of government rockets, which were developed from the Air Force to NASA, et cetera, et cetera, and which in their first trial flights ended in spectacular failures after just kind of tipping over a little bit uh, as opposed to going on their desired trajectory. If you look at the video, the telescopic video taken of the Starship after launch. When it did not release its second stage, and that could be a computer problem, it could be a mechanical problem, latches, whatever, separating rocket stages is a very well-developed and robust uh, engineering science. But again, with a new vehicle, you never know that some weirdness might, I mean, some technician may just not have put the right wire in the right place when you're building something new so fast. So they will analyze all the data. They got tons of data. And the thing that they're going to find out is that they have an extraordinarily robust spacecraft because I don't know many brand new rockets, certainly of the caliber of the heavy lift launch vehicle that was used to send the starship upward from, from Texas, which can survive multiple barrel rolls around and around and around like a pinwheel before it's floating. And when I saw this thing for like a minute, just twirling gently at 24, 25 miles up over the Gulf of Mexico, and it's just looping, it's just sitting there. Gently beginning to fall back, because, of course, the thrust was not aimed down like it needs to be. I said to myself, that's amazing. Because I've never seen a full-up spacecraft in a test like this that managed one roll before, let alone four or five, which I think this went through before the range safety officers sent the command to deliberately blow everything to kingdom come 25 miles over the Gulf of Mexico. What does that tell us? It tells us that everything in this super rocket designed by SpaceX and Musk's talented engineers functioned wonderfully far beyond spec, far beyond the normal loads that would be experienced by a someday manned spacecraft trying to get into orbit. So the fact that they had to blow the damn thing up deliberately to keep it from corkscrewing around and around and falling back to the surface of the Gulf of Mexico, still corkscrewing, tells me it's an incredibly robust and forgiving design. They will find the little hinky one or two things that went wrong, and I think given their success up till the point where they had to employ self-destruct, the next flight, which is going to be somewhere around the end of June, uh, maybe the third week in June is going to be a remarkable success because they got floods of data coming down. They know exactly what went wrong, and it probably is not a big thing. It's probably a little thing, but little things can do you in if you don't take care of them. So item number three, in the next month, well, actually the next week, um, I believe March 5th, there are students – we're going to be sending their own robotic us rover to the moon before nasa this is a uh, an effort let me actually look up the details here uh it is linked on the other side of midnight um students set to land the rover it was posted april uh, 18th um it was originally scheduled for 2021 or 22 but they've had to delay it because of some technical issues Um, this is basically a Carnegie Mellon team. The spacecraft is called Iris, like the iris in your eye. And it carries a little time capsule called Moon Arc, shades of our friend Nova Spivak and his ability to put, you know, time capsules, libraries uh, on the surface of the moon back during the um, uh, I- I- Israeli mission, which also failed. You know, I should not say that the failures all do to government involvement, and that's a much more complicated conversation, which we will defer until next Sunday night. Anyway, on May 5th, the Iris mission, the Carnegie Mellon, which is the robotic side of the um, University of Pittsburgh, I believe, Carnegie Mellon is going to try with the aid of a lot of students to put down the first robotic U.S. rover, not government, but private enterprise on the moon sometime after May 5th. And I'm going to make you a bold prediction. It will not succeed, not because of any lack of effort on their part, but because of a missing ingredient in the secret sauce of how to successfully land on the moon, all of which is going to be tackled in great detail next Sunday night. Item number four. We've now had, remember, we did the show on, I think, the 16th presaging what was going to happen with the Fox suit uh, Dominion against Fox? Well, uh, just before the, the trial was to begin um, on, on um, uh, Tuesday, I believe, uh, the 6th, 17th, 18th, no, 17th, Monday, uh, Fox suddenly caved and they paid um, a settlement to Dominion of almost $800 million. What that means in terms of a very interesting um, uh, analysis by uh, writers for the Columbia School of Journalism is there in item number four. Item number five is something which happened uh, just you know a couple, three days ago. Um, Fox turned around and suddenly fired the guy most responsible for the Dominion suit um, claiming the election was stolen etc., 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 while privately not agreeing with that at all, as we know from the disclosure of all those uh, uh, faxes and tweets and emails, which were sent among the Fox staff and the producers and the management uh, in the last couple of years, turns out that the on-air personnel didn't believe a word of it. They knew what they were saying on the air were lies. They said them anyway, and the key guy – did all that was Tucker Carlson and suddenly for following company policy for years with no discernible you know moving beyond the lines or over uh off the reservation he suddenly fired with no explanation I mean there are rumors of emails and texts and unexpurgated texts that, that we haven't seen so we don't know but the connection in time uh, of this with the Dominion settlement seems more than a little uh, coincidental, and we'll get into some of that tonight when we bring our panel on. So that's basically what we're going to talk about tonight, um, is uh, the Fox settlement and Tucker's sudden removal from the lineup. And so let me kind of get to who's going to be on tonight. We've got uh, Mick Harrison, who is one of the co-founders of the Lawyers Committee for 9-11 Truth, or or 9-11 Disclosure. Um, We've got Barbara Honiger, who is is now chairman. Uh, Mick, I think, is retired and has gone into some other area of the research. Barbara is now chairman. We've got Marvin Jones, our citizen historian, with us tonight. And later in the show, we'll be joined by Georgia Lambert because, of course, you know there is a um, a hyperdimensional component, a metaphysical component to all of this in my uh, developing model. And um, um, Keith Morgan is also with us, and the reason Keith is with us and going to be someone active is because he worked for many, many years for um, um, ABC News, and uh, I worked for CBS News. We both have network background and experience. I worked for Cronkite, and he worked for Ted Koppel. So we're going to kind of share some personal stories of how things, at least things used to go at major networks, as opposed to the way they've gone now. So um, Barbara Honiger, as I said, is with us. Marvin Jones is with us. Georgia will join us shortly. We've got about four minutes till the bottom of the hour. So who wants to jump in? I I think what I want to do, Marvin, is I want to talk about the First Amendment and the settlement and the idea that, in fact, not impeding The First Amendment, this Dominion uh, settlement with Fox actually helps the cause of the First Amendment. And I think we see it in the firing of Tucker Carlson, because not only does the First Amendment guarantee the right of American citizens to their opinion, but it also, in a very interesting way, is supposed to help shield us from unchecked, unfactual, outright lies promulgated, you know, across the country in terms of First Amendment liberties. Uh, Marvin, any thoughts on that?
1: Uh, No, I would agree with you. The uh, Second Amendment was to exchange uh, information. You, uh, You mean
0: the First Amendment?
1: Yeah, Yeah, the First Amendment was uh, a means to exchange information, and of course if it uh, were to be abused, such as uh, calling people uh, names on on air or in the newspapers and uh, and saying false things about an individual, he or she would – Be able to go to court and uh, sue, and that would be perfectly consistent with the First Amendment. It it is not a license for one to uh, just say anything.
0: Well, I think the old cliche is you can't, under the First Amendment, cry fire in a crowded theater. In in other words, the concept from Justice Holmes. Yeah, the the, the, the concept of, of the public good, the public commons, safeguarding honest discourse, not illegal dishonest discourse. In other words, what you're saying is that the civilian side of the ledger, the Dominion civil suit against Fox, is what the founders in their wisdom felt was the appropriate pushback on those that would abuse the First Amendment to simply tell unending lies.
1: Right, right, right. Uh, there, there is no conflict whatsoever <laughs> between suing someone engaged in falsehood, and and in the case of that ministry of, of propaganda, just flagrant falsehood. That there is no barrier to, as we have seen, suing
0: them. Okay, Barbara. Um, You also worked in the White House, in the Reagan White House. You were a senior policy advisor. What are your thoughts about the really surprising and abrupt – I thought it was going to go to trial. I thought Fox was going to really try to duke it out. Instead, they caved. And in that world, $800 million is a hell of a big cave. What are your thoughts?
2: Well, I hope I get more than just two minutes. You will. Come on. (laughs) Yeah. After the break, I'll have a lot more to say. But um, first, I just wanted a slight correction. McHarrison um, has hardly retired. Um, he is still the litigation director of the Lawyers Committee for 9/11 Inquiry, and I am chairman of the board. So he's not retired at all. He's an active public public interest uh, and whistleblower. Yeah, but he's attorney. no
0: longer co-chairman. That's what I was referring to. That's all.
2: He was never co-chairman. Oh, really? Yeah, no. Christina Borgeson and I oh, okay. uh were co chairman for a while, but she's no longer co chairman. Oh I know. I
0: See my mind is going. You he was yeah, one wow. of the co founders. That's what I'm trying to get oh, at. He
2: was he was a co founder and he's still a co founder because he co founded. <laughs> <the co-founder.
0: laughs> right. <laughs>
2: so so in a nutshell. Was I surprised at the settlement? No, I wasn't.
3: Ah. But
2: um, we now know, and I want to get into more of that after the break. I want to talk about why the settlement is so important. That's the main thing I wanted to cross tonight about this uh, after the break, because it takes a little more time. Um, But how my concern is, is that uh, this huge settlement uh, may and probably will chill almost every other media uh, concern Uh, from from, uh, airing anything about real conspiracies that have forensic facts behind them, like JFK, like RFK, like MLK, uh, like uh, Malcolm X, like 9-11, like Oklahoma City, like October Surprise. This is of great concern to me. Um, But I would like to also say the break, that I don't see the First Amendment just quite the same way um, as you and Marvin. Um, anybody can sue any time for anything. You can, you can file a suit anytime you want for any claim. What uh, the First Amendment does, and in particular, um, the New York Times versus Sullivan, which is the big case that this Dominion case was almost, you know, like a dagger aimed at the heart. Of the fundamental um, kind of uh, uh, over-the-top protection of media, making it for decades so difficult. That was the big Pentagon Papers case, New York Times versus Sullivan, which basically immunized the media um, from from having to from losing a defamation, libel, or slander case without. now in this case there was phenomenal evidence because the discovery was so successful getting all of those emails and texts and phone messages and that kind of thing it was a slam dunk in terms of proving that they uh knew that they were lying and went ahead with it anyway for whatever reason and that's one of the two criteria uh for proving the case so um
0: When when, when we come back, I want to ask you, and I think we may have a very interesting disagreement, because I don't see this as a dagger in the heart of the First Amendment at all. As I said to Marvin, I think this is an important, crucial adjunct to keeping people who have a First Amendment right to speak, to basically keep them from speaking lies and doing it at a corporate level where you've got to... Well, you, it
2: could be a dagger at the heart of New York Times versus Solomon. But we'll talk about the distinction after the break.
0: I don't agree with that either. So oh, we're going to have a really interesting time tonight. Uh, and I'm going to go to my first break by basically doing this, because this is just so opportune.
4: Is anybody there? Mm-hmm. Does anybody care? does anybody see what I see they want me to quit they say John give up the fight still to England I say good night forever good night for I have crossed bridge be burned behind me come what may come what may commitment the crookers all say we'll rule the day they'll be held to pay in fiery
5: purgatory the other side of midnight.com Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hudland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes.
3: Does
4: anybody see what I see? I see fireworks. I see the pump and played. I hear the bells ringing out. I hear the cannons roar. I see Americans, all Americans, free for an
0: hour more. And welcome back, everyone. Well, that, of course, is from the Very famous motion picture, 1776, which is the idealized version of the Founding Fathers in Philadelphia. And the construction of the Constitution and those first ten amendments which were introduced after the writing of the main document. And anyway, so back to Barbara. Um, you, you, You said before the break that the fox suit and the dominion success and fox caving was a dagger through the heart. And I'd like you to kind of explain.
2: Um, The first off, let me give the context that I am ecstatic about the results. I'm ecstatic about this huge settlement because we don't want people in the media to have immunity, effective immunity for lying. So um, Exactly.
0: That, hmm? Exactly.
2: Right. So we agree on that. What I meant by the dagger at the heart of New York Times versus Sullivan is that New York Times versus Sullivan gave the media too much immunity for lying. wait,
0: wait, 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 so- wait, 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 did the settlement or did the uh, not the settlement they actually went to trial and won the trial did they did they give the corporate you know media too much power or did they simply take it in terms of a vacuum that was not erected in place of a structured first amendment in other words the the whole sullivan case was based on real government documents which oh. uh which daniel ellsberg re- revealed released which could be checked they were li- they were truth not lies The government position was the lie. The secret research and documents behind the scenes were the truth. This is totally different. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. This is totally different than Fox, where they've spent two years lying, systematically, progressively, in in, in, collusion, while behind the scenes agreeing it's all a lie. I don't see any comparison. You're you're still not understanding. I guess not.
2: (laughs) New York Times versus Sullivan was the the fundamental legal basis for Dominion winning because it was New York Times versus Sullivan that gave the two criteria for finding a lying party liable for for the damages. Okay. So New York Times versus Sullivan prevailed on the side of Dominion. It's just it took a case like Dominion where there was so much evidence of lying, almost every other case gets settled out of court or fails because the criteria is so difficult to reach in New York Times versus Sullivan. And because it was used and because it was settled yet again, New York Times versus Sullivan stands. What, what is a disincentive, and that's why I'm ecstatic about it, What's a disincentive for the mainstream media to lie is the huge settlement because it's a shot across the bow of every media organization in the country. Okay, That's for oh, hang on, hang
0: on, hang on. For a comparison, mm-hmm. Fox clears about five billion a year. This settlement was almost one billion, so oh. one fifth of Fox's annual, you know, cleared profit. Has gone now to settle this Dominion suit, but waiting in the wings is the Smartmatic suit, where they're suing for two point seven billion. There is and the and
2: they have all of the evidence already gleaned by Dominion.
0: I was going to say the environment has been prepared because you have no idea what Smartmatic is going to reveal through their discovery about more background conversation among all the players at Fox who were basically lying to the public and agreeing privately. These people were putting on the air, the claimed that the, the election was stolen. They're just raving mad. They're stark nuts. There's no evidence. Even Giuliani on some of the tapes that uh, Abby Grossberg, who was the producer for one of the major Fox luminaries, uh, Mar- uh, what's her name, uh, uh, Maria Bartiromo, she agreed with the, with the statement of, of uh, Giuliani on tape that, well, we have no evidence. So it's like, where would future suits put Fox in terms of their settlement of the Dominion case? I think it puts them way behind the eight ball. Do we have Mick with Does us? They yes.
2: Have to they'll almost 150% no. settle Smart And also, there's at least one or two others uh, in the wings suits against Fox
0: as well well I believe there are there are members of the board who are, who are suing not members of the board uh, stockholders I believe stockholders who are suing the board That's there, right. there is the producer suit which is Abby Grossberg who was as I said first uh, the, the chief only producer for Bartiromo and then she went over to Tucker and had horrible personal interactions with Tucker and the staff and all that which are apart from her documented um, um, uh, testimony that she will give probably in her own suit, as well as maybe in the Smartmatic suit, if it ever goes to trial. So this has been a huge, uh, it's it's not even a shot across the bow. Fox took a terrible hit. And I think one way we know how terrible it was is like two days later, they turned around and fired Carlson. And they're claiming...
2: Two pieces of data about Carlson from the alternative media that have now surfaced, which makes sense of why he was fired, is that it turns out there were, the word that's been used is in these, there were redacted, there were still redacted emails and text messages and such. Nobody has said who redacted them.
0: Well, I thought it was Fox.
2: Well, it turns well, it turns out that they got some of them got unredacted, especially about Tucker Carlson, and it turns out he has a filthy, filthy mouth, mouth, and that he had called his boss, who ended up making the decision to fire him, a horrible word that rhymes with hunt, hmm. and so he got exactly what he deserved.
0: I still am very suspicious that that's just their excuse, that it really has to do with the core of the lying, that whole cadre that basically decided to tell themselves the truth and tell the American people, the Fox audience, the lies.
2: Yeah, but there were a lot of other people at Fox besides Tucker Carlson who lied, and they have proof that they lied. That T- Tucker Carlson has been singled out.
0: Uh, well, but how do we know that he's not one of many that are going to be let go?
2: Well, we don't, but it hasn't happened yet that I know
0: of. Well, maybe they don't want to do it all at once. Maybe they want to draw. Who who knows? You're trying to read people's minds. Um, so, so Mick Harrison is not with us yet. No, he's
3: not. Okay. Is
0: he? No. All right. We will keep trying. We will keep talking. Uh, Marvin, what were your thoughts on the Dominion settlement? Well,
1: I, I um, quite honestly was disappointed that it, it did not go to trial. I, I thought that it would have been uh, good to, even though the information had been coming out because of discovery and was discovery, there were obviously leaks. But I, I just think it would have been good to have reporters coming out during lunch break or some other recess describing how Uh, Rupert Murdoch reacted on the screen, how Tucker Carlson uh, (laughs) reacted on on the stand, Uh, the same thing with Carlson and some of the others. It was good that they had to pay close to $800 million, but uh, I, I was looking forward to a trial.
0: Well, I think we we all... all, Go ahead. I think we all were. Yes. However, sometimes, you know, the shortest route to Rome is not a straight line. Um, I did not imagine, given their former stance, uh, being so stalwart behind their on-air personnel and how uh, wishy-washy Murdoch was in some of the disclosure testimony from Discovery, that anything would happen to any of of the personnel at Fox. So the firing of Carlson. I mean, they all knew he had a dirty mouth. Come on, you can't work with someone for years. You know, was he with, with Fox for what, fourteen years? Unless in the last year or two he's gone through some incredible aberrated mental behavior. This has been the guy all along. So,
2: yeah, it's been the guy all along. But they haven't. But what he says hasn't been out in the public domain before.
0: Well, when you say in the public domain, um, you're talking about the discovery. Yeah. Well, but what was out, in other words, when those first, when those emails were first made public, which was like two, three weeks ago, they didn't fire him then. They only fired him after the settlement and in the prospect of the next case, which was Smartmatic. I think it was preemptive. I don't think it was because of his potty mouth. I don't think it's because he called his his boss, you know, a, a dirty name. You know, at that level, people are not working on feelings. They're working on how do you keep the audience? He kept the audience. He gave them what they wanted. He he, he moved in that direction. Yes,
2: I agree. I agree that he wasn't hired before, earlier because Fox was going to go to trial. Don't forget, it only settled at like the last second. And it settled in part because of these the unredacting of especially some of the emails or other communications of Tucker Carlson, but also because a 92-year-old Rupert Murdoch was going to be the second witness on the stand and they were going to tear him to pieces.
0: would imagine so. Well, remember, he at one point in those now uh, unredacted emails from him uh, said in private that he felt that A, what they were supporting was almost a criminal activity on the part of the president, the part of Trump. Remember yeah. that? And, right. then, and then he envisioned it a kind of a thought experiment. Maybe we should put Tucker and a couple other hosts on the air and they have a round table and they basically debunk all the lies about the election and come clean. But he was very diffident <laughs> about
2: happened. that. It never happened. But
0: he could have ordered it. All he had to do was say, "Go and do it." So why didn't he do it? Well, on other parts of the unexpurgated now emails, show us that the bottom line was high in their, uh, you know, attention span at every level: the stock price, the audience, the 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 bloodletting, you know, Fox audience migrating over to OAN and and the other hard right networks, Newsmax. OAN and Newsmax,
3: yeah. yeah.
0: So it looks to me as if they really looked at what had happened, realized they had to cut their losses. They had to do something to political bloodletting, not the personal stuff. That, I think, is is more distraction. I think they just basically fired Tucker to try to cut the head off the monster and to regroup. And they may not really know where they're going to go in terms of regrouping remember they only have an interim program now in that time slot and the next designated hitter for 8 p.m eastern has not been publicly announced and everybody's assuming it's going to be more of the same i think it's going to be something different because 800 million dollars speaks very loudly in this culture very loudly
2: yeah, right. Walk softly and carry a big settlement,
0: right? <laughs> <laughs> Marvin, what do you think?
1: Uh, I, I I like your line. <laughs> I like your line, Marvin. <laughs> no, I, I I think you guys are are right. That will definitely have uh, an impact. And Richard, I know on a, a previous show we talked about. Uh, uh, and enhanced restoration of the fairness doctrine. And I would definitely like to see that uh, in conjunction with this recent uh, re- recent settlement, because on a more day-to-day basis, I think it would ha- have an impact if somebody said, uh, uh, John Smith eats uh, bologna sandwiches every uh, day of the week and, breaks wind on the bus going to work. And <laughs> Don Smith is actually driven to work uh, in his uh, chauffeur and his Lincoln Continental. I think that, yeah, I think but, that but would...
2: New York Times versus Sullivan gives immunity for mistakes, so-called honest mistakes. It doesn't give immunity for malice of forethought.
0: But you see, until we had the Fox Dominion suit, back in New York versus Sullivan... You only had the public record. You had no text, no email, no, no no paper trail, electronic through the internet. You had none of the tools that these uh, Dominion attorneys had to simply, through discovery, get a treasure trove of absolute unabridged lying on the air by people who privately knew it was all a big lie. We've we've never had this kind of evidence. Up until the technology made it possible, so together the technology and the um, uh, settlement, I think, have created an environment where you can tackle all kinds of conspiracies. You just have to have the damn
2: evidence. Yeah, but but let's let's be clear. Uh, there is a parallel with New York Times versus Sullivan, the Pentagon Papers case. Not perfect, but but an analogy parallel, and that is that. Don't forget, the Pentagon Papers, the whole purpose of the Pentagon Papers was to prove that the government, the Nixon administration, was lying through its teeth. The difference here, the big difference, is that, is that in that case, that was government. It was, a, it, was a, it was a lawsuit that went all the way to the Supreme Court in that case, um, a federal lawsuit, that one of the parties was the government of the United States, which had been lying through its teeth. In this case, it's a civil case. And in this case, it's a civil actor who's one of the parties who is proven to be lying through their teeth:
0: Well, in any case, I think it worked out very well, because I, I do think <clears> — <throat> and I was hoping we would have Mick here so I could bounce some things off him — the primary objective in civil suits is to substitute morality for economy. In other words, the way you enforce good behavior and the way you disenfranchise bad behavior is you make it too expensive for bad behavior to continue. I think the settlement with Fox accomplished, and I think they followed up with a one-two where they suddenly, without any reason given, got rid of their, their major you know, uh, uh, prime ratings guy in prime time who – or according to all ordinary analysis was making the network a huge ton of money. And when he leaves and goes somewhere else, and there's a discussion that he might be going to the, uh, um, uh, what is it? Newsmax is offering him all kinds of amazing things, including uh, programming, you know, the capability of a senior vice president at a major network, which I think will be uh, almost irresistible. So is Marvin – I'm going to ask Marvin – will his behavior, will it continue at Newsmax, or will they be chastened and somehow rein him in, seeing what he did was so disastrous to Fox?
1: I'm sorry. You're talking about – who's here you're talking about?
0: Carlson supposedly is going to go to Newsmax. They're making him an offer he can't refuse. Not okay. just having a show, but having programming control, you know, creative authority control. And everybody in media wants that. Producers, writers, directors, you all want control of your, of your product. Well, <clears throat> they're offering him control, not just of his own show, but of the network, the lineup, who precedes him, who follows him. I presume what kind of scripts are going to be written, what kind of stories covered Is he going to do the same thing at Newsmax he did at Fox? My bet is no, because now with almost a billion dollar settlement behind the case, everybody's going to be looking to see if he's publicly lying and privately not lying. Hmm.
2: Well, Well, I think that that he will basically do the same thing, but he'll be more careful.
0: How can he be more careful? People live on their phones. People send all kinds of garbage. I know. I know people that live on their phones 24-7. And and I I know there was some commentary in the wake of Fox that for future settlements, um, the higher-ups in the network will just basically make sure – there are no private emails or embarrassing texts. And I frankly think that's impossible because you can't guard everybody's private phones. Legally, well, we'll if, 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 if you work for Fox, they cannot say under law, you have to turn over all your private texts and your private emails and all that while working for the company. That's not constitutional. That well, abrogates yes, it is the First Amendment.
2: If you Amendment. make an agreement, if you sign a contract, when you start working... And why would like you do closures? that?
0: And why would you do that?
2: Well, I'm just saying, if someone was willing to sign such a contract, yes, they can, because they've they've waived that right.
0: I just Tucker, don't... Tucker, all right, all Tucker right.
2: Won't, Tucker won't Tucker has too much power to sign such a thing, but other people might.
0: Yeah, in which case, <clears throat> if there was a suit against Newsmax at some point... For Let's say 2024. All right, looking ahead, Dominion or Dominion like companies who are attacked. And I know there was somebody who was saying very elegantly, well, the only reason that the Fox people got into trouble is they kept singling out these individual corporations. If they hadn't used Smartmatic or Dominion as their fall guys, they would have gotten away with it. I don't know whether that's true. And I really wish Mick was here to answer the question.
2: Well, at the next break, I will call Mick. It's only seven minutes. I'll call him again. Okay. Um, I would like to say there was a third reason that rings very true to me as to why they singled out so far uh, Tucker Carlson. And that is that Murdoch and the producers, including uh, Tucker's technical boss, who he, you know, just filthy mouth. um,
0: Her first name is Susan. I don't remember her last name
2: yeah um but anyway, it turns out that uh, murdoch um has has given the word that Fox is going to push DeSantis against Trump, and Tucker uh, was not on board with that
0: so if Tucker were to take the job at Newsmax, he would be a Trump guy, and Fox correct. would be behind DeSantis
2: correct,
0: but DeSantis has as much hope of becoming president. As I do. And I have a much better public personality than he does.
2: Trump's indicted for sedition or conspiracy for sedition or something. No, I think he does have a good chance. But, you know, we... Wait, wait, wait.
0: wait. You you think that DeSantis actually can be nominated?
2: If Trump has been uh, found guilty
0: of sedition, sure. Nothing will happen in the year and a half between now and the election. Remember, Mm the laws of justice grind very slowly. But exceedingly uh, fine so. hmm?
2: Well we shall see what the special counsel Jack Davis does But I believe he's getting quite close um, So is Connie Davis uh, in Georgia for, for bringing uh, She's gone to, she's announced by the way Sometime before early September She will uh, bring indictments
0: she's But do you really that. think among the Trump supporters That's going to make a whit of difference? I don't
2: well, the Trump supporters aren't the top of the party either. I mean, it remains to be seen.
0: But they are. That's why Fox got into trouble. They were afraid of Trump supporters who, when they didn't, when they started being honest, like admitting that night, election night, that he won Arizona, the Fox audience. in, in, in right.
2: I understand all that. I think that something major could happen to Trump that would cause him to be anathema to a good section uh, of the uh, of the so-called base.
0: Really, I can't imagine what it would be. Well, I mean, we are definitely in the I could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue land. <laughs> well, we are. He's already been indicted yeah. for the you know Stormy Daniels thing and hasn't made a wit. In fact, he has increased his separation. And Marvin, you can jump in any time here um, in in terms of polling between Trump and DeSantis. DeSantis is in a tailspin, and Trump is ascendant in terms of tracking polls week by week. And it's because they love, you know, the Trump voters love Trump, regardless, warts or anything else at all.
2: Yeah, well, people love Tucker, too, and he's out,
0: we'll think. Yeah, but Tucker doesn't have the same capabilities that Trump does on the national stage. Trump doesn't no, need anyone good. to authorize him running for president. Tucker needs a, a network, a platform.
2: Okay, well, the bottom line is you're certain, and I say let's wait and see.
0: I am more than 50-50. I think Trump oh, will well. be the nominee, well, regardless. I think Trump will be the nominee, too, but
2: i not certain about it.
0: Marvin, want to jump in? Yeah.
1: Well, Richard, I I do not have anything uh, to say about uh, the gentleman from New York who now resides in Florida, and neither do I have that much to say about any of the other people who are running for the Republican nomination. Uh, My personal view is, they seem very determined to, uh, whomever the nominee, nominee may ultimately be, they seem very determined to nominate obnoxious people. <laughs> That's right. That's one
0: and, way of and, putting and, it.
3: Or they love yes. them. It's terrible.
0: And, and so... Well, the, don't, don't, don't you think, we got about a minute here till the top of the hour, oh. don't you think, Marv, it's in part because um, all those, uh, like 30%, They are all disgruntled, basically old white guys with big chips on their shoulder against all kinds of things. And Trump has come to represent their standard, the guy that will fight for them. And they don't give a damn about anything else because they think it's all lies anyway because it comes from the mainstream fake media. He set it up perfectly unless he is actually convicted and sent somewhere and even then, he could still run. You know, there were there were what mayors of Boston, who used to run. Uh, Curly is one of them, who actually ran for mayor from a jail cell, back in well, the. Well,
2: then LaRouche ran for president from
0: prison. Yeah, but Curly won. Well, yes, but in, LaRouche in, in, uh, did not.
1: Uh, but but if if uh, the special prosecutor gets an indictment and conviction against him under Title eighteen section, was it? Uh, I think it's section. Uh, uh, no, section yeah, section uh 2383, which uh, enforces the uh rebellion or insurrection clause in section three of ah. the Fourteenth Amendment.
2: Then he can't.
1: So if ineligible. he
0: was convicted under the Margo Largo's paper thing or under the January sixth thing, but those trials are not going to come to fruition probably for years. Remember how adroit he is politically at legally delaying, 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 delaying over the most trivial things. Anyway, we are at the uh, top of the hour. My guests this morning, so far, more will be joining us, are Barbara Honiger, former Reagan White House policy advisor, and Marvin Jones, our civilian citizen historian, who's been tracking a number of things. When we come back, at some point in the evening, I want to talk about this whole debt ceiling charade, uh, because I have a feeling it's going to, blow wide open. I saw some mainstream analysts this afternoon uh, looking at what McCarthy had tried with the House voting on the debt ceiling uh, a few days ago, had tried to uh, um, kind of skip around, sidestep the whole debt ceiling thing. Anyway, we will get into that. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Welcome back, everyone, on this Sunday night, April 30th, last day of April, 2023, will never come again. My guests this morning are Marvin Jones and Barbara Honiger so far. We're going to be joined shortly by uh, Mick Harrison, who is a uh, <clears throat> attorney who knows libel laws, the Constitution, and as uh, one of the co-creators of the... Uh, 9-11 Truth Lawyers Committee there in New York City. Um, Barbara is the chairman. And, uh, okay, let, 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 let's go back to the conversation. So, Marvin, I believe you were saying something.
1: Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, I was just talking about uh, the gentleman from New York who now resides in... Uh, you, you
0: can say his name. His name is Trump. No, No, I,
1: no Richard i i I never say his oh, name come on the man is an ego. no no, no seriously, I never say his name. he gets enough free publicity. his name does not uh, come from my mouth I, well,
0: you could call him I the, just do not. you could call him the former guy that was one of
1: no i i I do not do that either because I am trying to stay polite now in regard to what i just started to say in regard to uh, the republicans being determined to nominate obnoxious people it it one of the things that troubles me about our political system uh and this is just not now this goes back Kate uh for me uh republicans will just out with something they, they will make an assertion notice i said assertion not not saying something truthful they will make an assertion and they they meet in the in the back room and they all come out lockstep lock they'll all repeat the same line endlessly but for whatever reason democrats can have the truth on their side and they are so timid <laughs> about speaking the truth over and over again. And the reason why I'm saying this would be, uh, it's not only because I'm royally irritated tonight, because as I said, this goes back decades. Uh, somewhere... Um, I don't know somewhere in the mid 90s I was my small town's delegate to the Massachusetts Democratic Convention. It was a year when it was just uh, an issues convention. We were not nominating anyone. And I got up uh, at uh, one forum and I I, I said and there were office holders there and I I, I said uh I I said no offense intended to anyone here, but our office ho- holders are entirely to Timid. Now I'm saying all of this to lead into what you mentioned just before uh, uh, we went to a break uh, regarding the uh, a debt ceiling, Richard. I, 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 it, I, it just buffaloes me that the Democrats have let the Republicans go on endlessly with this foolishness. And and I'm not talking about just during the uh, uh, Biden administration. You you go uh, back because uh, I am thinking about – yeah, this was when uh, uh, Obama was in, in the White House. They went through some nonsense like this, and at one point there was a debate on the Senate floor. Harry Reid was the majority leader at the time. And, uh, of course, McConnell was the minority leader, and McConnell had made a proposal that, well, rather than have this problem all the time, uh, we should just have it so the, the, the president raises the death ceiling. And evidently, much to his surprise, the majority leader, Reed, got up and said, all right, let's give that a shot. I'm not exaggerating. I was looking for the, uh, I, I used to have the link uh, of, of that. Uh, but
0: uh, Marvin, hang on. Do you, do you remember, because yeah. the, the whole debt ceiling thing is not in the Constitution. We have to no. lay, you have to lay foundation, give people the stark reading of the Constitution, which in my mind, my analysis, Mick, where are you, is unconstitutional. That legislation, whenever it was enacted, It has never been contested. It's been assumed. It's incredibly illogical, as Spock would say, because it basically demands that the Congress mandate of the executive branch to do two simultaneous contradictory things at the same time. And you can't do that. And in fact, it directly contradicts my reading of the Constitution of the United States. Am I right? Or am I wrong? No, no,
1: that, that is absolutely right. We, we've talked about this before. Uh, going back to uh, Article uh, 6, Clause 1, that's from the very beginning. The original Constitution itself made it uh, clear that the United States of America was going to uh, pay its debt uh, when the Washington administration came into... Well, there's language
0: like, and you can probably find the actual language um shall not be abridged meaning you can't default under the constitution on u.s debt and yet that's what they're trying to do with this stupid debt ceiling legislation which was enacted i forget when it's been carried forward for uh well over three quarters of a century i think if not longer yeah,
1: yeah it, it, go, it goes back to the second liberty bond act of 1917.
0: good god and I think it's totally illegal and unconstitutional because it puts the president in an impossible situation where he either follows Congress or he follows the Constitution, but he can't do both. And his, well,
1: yes. well, well, to me, this, this again, See, this is where I, I get very annoyed with, with the Democrats, as I was saying. To me, this is one of those things that is a very easy decision. Right? The President of the United States take, takes an oath to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution, and it, 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 it is uh, his duty to take care that the laws be faithfully executed. The Constitution is the supreme law of the land. Of course. Therefore, that is the first law that has to be
0: faithfully executed. Right? Okay. Well, hang on. Hang on. Hang can on. I, Barbara, I think, Barbara has a comment. Go ahead.
2: Yeah. So – So really the onus is on whoever the president is happens to be Biden right now to take that to the Supreme court on some kind of an emergency basis. um, Because there is a deadline approaching and um, to invoke that very original clause of the constitution, but he hasn't done that.
0: Okay. Hang on. Hang on. This is really interesting. If I were Biden, if I were president, And I saw what the Democrats, what the Republicans were trying to do in terms of hobble the country, in terms of a dagger through the heart of all kinds of critical programs, in terms of the actual, you know, maligning of the wording of the Constitution. I would simply assume the sale as the chief executive. I would raise the debt ceiling, pay our debts, and then let somebody sue me. I wouldn't take it to the court. I would assume the sale. Remember, it's always easier to ask forgiveness than to ask permission. If it, if well, the president if, doesn't have the purse power.
2: Only Congress has the power of the purse.
0: But it has nothing to do with the purse. It has to do with the law, the Constitution. If by, well, under the the, pres- it, See, this is where we need Mick. Because under the Constitution, I would imagine the presidential authority to authorize the full face and credit, because remember – in the legislative process, the Congress already has had two bites of the apple. You have what's called the appropriation process where people basically it's a wish list. I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to spend money on Artemis. I want to maintain national defense. I want to help. In other words, the, the, the budget of the United States. And then the next step is called authorization, where they get another bite of the apple to agree to spend the money that they're about to vote on to do whatever they want to do in part of the federal budget. This debt ceiling is a third vote, which is to me, it's cockamamie Mm -hmm. because if you've already agreed to spend the money, you can't then say, Oh, but we're not going to pay our debts. That's crazy.
2: Well, that's why I I think, I think the ultimate solution to this is for, the, you know the the executive branch can initiate any lawsuit it wants.
0: I don't think you need a lawsuit. You just do it, and then no, and, no. And, and, and then you I, turn I around. Hang funny. on, hang on. Then then you know whoever wants to take it to the court and says to Biden, you didn't have the constitutional authority. It comes from the ground up, and in retrospect, the Supreme Court then has to decide: Are we going to default for the first time? in a quarter of a thousand years, a quarter of a millennium on U.S. debts already voted and paid for as part of the legislation. I think the need to it's be It's already
2: voted, but it hasn't been paid for yet.
0: Well, but we, when you authorize it, you pay for it, except for that, yeah, that last little bit of, you know, the debt ceiling nonsense. How did we ever yeah, get but into...
2: It's always better to be a plaintiff than a defendant. That's why I think Biden should initiate
0: and then, how long will how long will the court sit on it until the debt limit runs out?
2: Well, you you as I said, the the executive branch can uh, file an emergency basis lawsuit with the Supreme Court anytime it wants. And the closer you get to the debt ceiling deadline, uh, the more viable uh, and uh, credible that emergency uh, filing is.
0: Yeah, but you can't you can't count on the court being logical and constitutional anymore. Remember what Alito? Oh, I think
2: you, I think with this court you can. They are constitutionalist uh, fundamentalists.
0: Remember what oh, Alito? God, no, 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 no. no. Geez, I, 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 with this. I, I I do not agree. Okay, Marvin, why is she in error? <laughs> well, no,
1: Barbara, I I, I, I was quoting. A Joan Rivers line, I'm not trying to be insulting, so I hope you did not take it that way. But first of all, uh, the a number of the gentlemen on, on the Supreme Court are not conservatives. They are radicals. Uh, a very simple example of there being a radical... Was that case from Texas that uh, ended up overturning Roe versus Wade? I right?
3: Think.
1: That a, a, a right had already been granted under Roe, so right. the, the normal thing to uh, have, have done while they were considering the case was to uh, have, uh, put a a stay on uh, the Whatever lower court it was that uh, said, "Oh no uh, uh, no because there is a, a, a basic principle of anglo American jurisprudence that goes back from when we were part of the British Empire. It carried over into our system. It was cited by the greatest chief justice of the United States, John Marshall. where there is a right, there is a remedy there the the, the the, the, the court acted contrary to what had been such a standard way of operating uh, for
2: uh, uh, centuries,
1: almost right? fifty years. Now, now to to get back to this whole thing about the the debt ceiling, uh, the last time that we that we had this uh, discussion, right, it was shortly before uh the president gave the state of the union address and richard you will recall my, my saying that at that point see again this goes back to my irritation with with the democrats president of the united states had the nation's uh attention every everybody w- was there joint session of congress and at that point he should should have announced uh, let, let, let's forget all the, this foolishness the United States of America will not default on, it, on its debt. If a clean debt ceiling resolution uh, does not pass, I will direct the Secretary of the Treasury to uh, raise the debt uh, ceiling and issue such uh, appropriate uh, securities as she deems necessary. End of discussion. Th- this, whole business, th- this whole business of going to the Supreme Court is just un. Necessary. I, I well, hang on, hang on, uh, Marvin,
0: Marvin. That's what I I'm arguing. Sorry. You know, in the way back in my prehistory of my life, there used to be a phrase, you know, assume the sale. If Biden were to approach this, and there's a very famous New York Times uh, columnist, his name is Julian. Oh, I can't remember his last name. I saw him this afternoon. He wrote a column right after we did uh, the show several months ago on the debt ceiling.
3: He wrote a column
0: basically coming out and saying what we've been saying is that Biden should just, through executive order, raise the debt limit as per the Constitution because you can't, under the Constitution, default on the damn debt.
2: Well, that's a great thing, and he should do it. Why hasn't he done it?
1: I think it's tiny. Well, it goes – again, this, I'm just rejecting my experience over a few decades here. Democrats are timid. They, they can have the truth on their side. You can write to them. You can meet with them in person, whether it's at, at, at the, a, a, a convention, or you can uh, talk to them face-to-face when your senator or representative comes to a, a town hall meeting, and they will still – not do it they need a a transplant
0: and it's not a (laughs) transplant of a heart do you have any ideas why quite honestly I am
1: mystified maybe I was just brought up differently and maybe uh, saying the word so help me God uh, means more to some of us than others but I, am, I, I just do not understand if somebody has a good hand, you've got a good hand, you know the other guy has nothing, why do you fold?
2: Yeah, it's almost like they're afraid to win.
0: Which leads us to what conclusion?
2: That they're afraid to win.
0: Or contention is part of the agenda. In other words, rather than fixing the problem permanently, since World War II, we've had this recurring problem, and it hasn't ever really been a problem for, you know, what, 45 of the 50 plus years. It's only been a problem uh, way back when in August of of, of 2011, I think we first came up to this cliff, Republicans refusing to simply raise the debt ceiling. Subsequent, uh, and they went right no, down to the it, wire. The
2: White House At the very beginning of the first Reagan term, when I was in the White House, the government shut down for a week. We all had to leave the White House.
0: But government shutdowns are not defaulting on the death ceiling. They're two separate things. That's No, but it was a, it was a threat to do that. Well, the threat, but they never did it. They did not pull the no, trigger.
2: They never actually defaulted. And, no, in they, August,
0: they... and in August of 2011, we came right up to the edge. Our bond rating suffered. As a nation, there were a whole bunch of people in the financial markets who felt the Republicans were going to push us over the cliff. And so because they're thinking money and all that's all they're thinking, they were hedging their bets against a default by the major financial power on planet Earth. And we we, we missed it by like a day or two, but it had a shattering effect on the markets. We didn't recover for months and there was something like 25 or 30 billion That got lost by somebody in this weird, very illogical transition. So even getting close to the threat of default can be as bad as default.
2: Almost as well, almost as
0: bad. Maybe. Well, remember economics is all basically a mind game. Nothing has value intrinsically. It's all what humans put on it. It's it's propaganda. That's why you have economists who say, well, on the one hand, so-and-so, and on the other hand, so-and-so, because it's... Which is why
1: President Harry Truman said he always wanted a one-handed economist.
2: <laughs> you know, there's, there's another fundamental difference, at least in the recent past, uh, and currently between the Republican and Democratic parties and, and especially their leadership, and that is, and it may go some part of the way to explaining what appears to be timidity on the part of the Democrats. The Democrats still think that their job when they win elections is to represent all the people. The Republicans gave that up a long time ago. They could give a damn about anybody who doesn't vote for them. And they act like it. And they're proud to basically defame Uh, The individuals and any groups who didn't vote for them in the most grotesque and obnoxious ways, the Republicans, once they get in office, they only they act as if they're only representing their own voters, not the not the people of the United States. The Democrats still think they're supposed to represent everybody.
0: To the extent that the debt ceiling is basically a fatal wound because Given the interconnectedness of the world economy, given what we've seen of inflation all over the world now because of the pandemic, given the connectedness of supply chains and banks and institutional economic uh, frameworks, I do not see how defaulting can do anything but catastrophically in a negative way affect the United States of America in which case the Republicans will then claim in 2024, see, it's Biden's fault, and they'll oh, use that.
2: They're not, to they're not No matter what, it's not going to get to default. The two sides are playing chicken. They're trying to make the other side blink and give in. That's just the way politics works at that level. It always has. And probably but we always saw the
0: negative consequences of this chicken in 2011. We did yeah, not get off scot-free.
2: But they also didn't default, and I don't believe – I don't think there's a chance in a trillion that they will again.
1: Well, I, I, I think it's time to quit playing this game. The President of the United States needs to – and, sir, with all due respect, if you are listening or one of your staff members listening, I do not uh, mean this disrespectfully because I could be guarding penguins tomorrow, but uh, you really need to do your job. You really need to do your job. And if nothing else, act on the basis of prerogative, which the founders recognized. For prerogative is nothing but doing good without benefit of a rule, to quote John Locke.
2: Without benefit of a what?
1: Of a rule. A what? Because it, a rule. A rule, R-U-L-E.
2: Oh, without benefit of a rule. What does that mean? Yeah.
1: Well, just what it says, that there there are times when a legislature, it can be co- uh, composed of uh, Plato's and Socrates and every other wise uh, philosopher that ever lived, but even they cannot comp- can, uh, compose laws in such a way that they anticipate every possible contingency. Therefore, the executive has to be able to act independently in certain situations.
2: Oh, yeah, that's what emergencies are for, like an emergency filing or something like
1: that. No, this has nothing to do with an emergency filing with any court. This is a matter of the executive acting independently for the good and benefit of the republic. And this is something that's been recognized throughout American history from the very beginning. Uh, Lincoln acted on the basis of, of prerogative uh, PR. Uh, uh, JFK re, uh, restated uh, the same thing. It's a very consistent thing throughout American history. And right now, it, it needs to be acted upon because the last thing I saw, they said uh, uh, the treasurer's is estimated we may be down to uh, uh, six weeks. And as Richard was point, uh, point, uh, pointing out, there's a, a, there could be a problem just these guys shilly shallying around, and, and with everything that's going on in the, in the world now—the uh, the, the war in Ukraine, the situation in uh, uh, the, the South China Sea, uh, North Korea, and all—this would affect all of those those things, and not just. In the United States of America, it would affect allies because the dollar is the reserve currency of, of the world. It would be it, it would be absolutely senseless to default. One of the reasons why our putting sanctions on, uh, say, Russia uh, because because of war is so effective because so much trade is conduct uh, conducted uh, uh, in in the dollar. If this is just. This is bordering on insanity by supposedly sane human beings. Forgive me if I sound irritated tonight, but I am.
0: Okay, let's move. We've kind of given the fact that we have no, you know, voting authority and we can't control any of this. And all we can do is talk to public opinion. I think we've kind of beaten this horse. We will see in the coming weeks. The problem I have is that based on 2011, The financial markets are looking at this and thinking the odds, Barbara, are much higher than a trillion to one against. They were definitely scared in 2011 if the Republicans now, who are basically being wielded and and led not by McCarthy, but by Marjorie Taylor Greene, who was adamant on this, um, if if they really hold out for getting the bigger picture, we could fall over that cliff with – None of the same people realizing it until it was too late.
2: Well, but you know, one of the one of, yes, I mean, you know that when I said a trillion to one, that was a figure of speech,
0: and I know, not literal. I know, I know.
2: <laughs> um, but the, the other thing that, that is an absolute fact, and I saw it happen, you know, when I was in the White House and the Justice Department in Washington firsthand on the inside, and that was the the two parties. The one on the one that doesn't have the control uh, of the White House, uh, the the Republicans uh, will rail against uh, the um, uh, you know the deficits until they're in control, and then they want to spend everything uh, for the police, the military, and the courts, and they don't care how much deficit there is for that. Their game is to try to squeeze out the so-called domestic side of the federal spending. And the Democrats on the other side, um, unfortunately now, are allowing this mass, ever since 9-11, an absolutely massive increase in the military budget and everything connected. You know, there's there's so much more federal spending that really effectively is militarily related that doesn't uh, formally get called uh, military spending. So the two parties kind of divide up uh, the two parts, uh, the two major so-called non-discretionary parts of the the
0: discretionary. We are at the bottom of the hour. My guest this morning, Barbara Honiger, Marvin Jones. We're going to have Mick Harrison with us shortly. And at the top of the hour, or maybe a little sooner, I think uh, Georgia Lambert is also joining us. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return.
5: Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Talk Radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side is midnight.com. And the other side of midnight dot
3: com
0: And welcome back, everyone, on this Sunday night, grading into Monday morning and eventually uh, another uh, half hour or so. We have been joined by Georgia, Georgia Lambert, and uh, Georgia may be a metaphysician and the resident metaphysician of the show, but she's also a three-dimensional human being, and she has several interesting things to add to the conversation. So, Georgia, welcome to The Other Side of Midnight. Good evening. Hi, Georgia.
2: Hi, Barbara.
0: Hi, Marvin.
6: (laughs) Well, gosh, this this, uh, discussion, I've only been listening to the last half hour, but it seems to be in a lot
0: of different directions. (laughs) Which direction do you want to take? Which trail into the woods? Well,
6: a a couple of things. First of all, in in terms of the whole fox thing, you know, um, it's not just this particular issue, but in so many others, uh, as we've talked about so many times, Richard, it seems that we're being presented with choices and decisions. And, you know, one of the, the things that we have to learn is that freedom of speech doesn't mean freedom from the responsibility of what that speech sets into motion. You know, we, we know, for instance, our physical world, that if we put pollution into the air and into the water, it's going to affect everybody and take the whole planet down. We have yet to have that kind of responsibility for the emotional pollution and the mental pollution that we set loose and what those things uh, set into motion. And it would be really wonderful if appeal to someone's ethics or morals would curb their behavior, but it's, it's a sad commentary that it seems that money is the only cudgel
0: that we can use to shape behavior. OK, let me let me argue a little on that. <clears throat> given that we are in a 3D material world and given that money and the exchange of it accounts for most human activity on the planet, both positive and negative, it seems to me in setting up a civil system where instead of sending uh, someone to jail, like if, if E. Jean Carroll wins her civil suit against Trump for rape, you know, he's not going to go to jail. He's going to pay a lot of money because the jury will award damages and whatever extent that uh, uh, the the um, uh, plaintiff's side feels is appropriate. And I have a feeling, given her life story, that it's not just a trivial thing that happened on an afternoon. It affected her entire life, again, if you believe her testimony and what happened afterwards. So he could pay a small fortune, nothing like, the Trump, uh, like the, the Fox settlement, but significant, probably tens or maybe even a hundred million dollars, maybe. However, if you look at money as a substitute for morality, what other people in similar positions will look at is the probability that if they're caught, they are, in fact, subject in a civil trial to basically being financially eviscerated by a jury so it has this very grounded 3d deterministic you know real world effect even though it doesn't come with a higher level moral overtone the bottom line is you want to deter bad behavior and there's nothing better in 3d than losing a lot of money to make it either physically or mentally in someone incapable of committing these same offenses again.
6: Oh, absolutely. I mean, money works. There's no question about that. It's just that, you know, it's a shame that things like, you know, shame <laughs> and, and, uh, and being caught uh, lying uh, isn't enough of an incentive.
0: Well, I think we've been asking for the last seven, eight years, you know, how deep is the hole? How, how long before we reach bottom? And frankly, from what I've seen in the public sphere, we're not near the bottom yet. We we True. may we may get there this year, but maybe we won't. I just am watching Fox behave and the first thing they do after the settlement is they turn around and fire their number one guy who brings in the bacon. I exactly. do not I do not think those as being disconnected, no matter how much they claim, oh, it was the terrible language he used in his private emails. Who the hell cares?
6: Yeah, the other thing I wanted to bring up, and, and it, we're a little past it in the news cycle, but I wanted the, the panel's opinion. Remember the, the uh, news last week and the week before where it was talking about the security leak with the young man that was...
0: Oh, yes, the uh, airman, the National Guard airman, on right. on uh, somewhere in Massachusetts, who basically put on the internet a whole bunch of top top secret files. How did he get them? For a group of about thirty or forty people in something called uh, uh, I forget what the program was. It, Discord. 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 Yeah, yeah. 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 It's kind of well, we used Discord as a chat program early on, and then we we kind of didn't. It, it wouldn't work for what we needed. But anyway, his idea. He said was to basically use it to impress his followers on the website. But I'm wondering if there's not a higher level, more interesting possibility, and I think that's where you want to go.
6: Yeah, I mean, when I first heard that, it was like the red flag went up for me, that there's something hinky about that. Uh, and I was wondering uh, if anybody else got that kind of hit, and I'll, I'll tell you why. It seems to me that that kind of situation did a couple of things that some people might want to have done. Um, it w- it would be a wonderful avenue for distributing disinformation. Uh, it would also, and this is the one that really got me, if that young man is uh, indicted and and actually convicted, Uh, the pattern would be set legally for somebody taking classified documents and showing them off to their friends for creds. And that would be then a legal precedent with Mar-a-Lago looming on the horizon.
0: Wasn't there a story out of Mar-a-Lago that what the president, the former guy did was to basically show certain people, these documents there was, I think there was a map involved or something. And 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 he bragged about them, like he could, yeah, like exactly. he like he could not resist. So, if you had this airman convicted and sentenced and to a jail sentence for doing the same thing, is that to build? Pre- in other words, you're saying was this to build precedent, and was the timing of this leak uh, actually fortuitous in the sense that someone put candy in front of this kid, knowing he could not resist, and so he is a fall guy in a much bigger game.
6: Yeah, something along those lines. Anyway, it just it it just didn't sit right with me, and I was wondering if anybody else got that kind of hit on it.
2: Well, I have a comment about it.
6: Go,
0: go.
2: Well, the, to me, a, a very important wrinkle. I don't know if you saw it. It was like on page A18 of the New York Times. But I'm guessing maybe a week ago, It turns out, or maybe it was a front-page article that continued on A18 or something like that, Um, but it was uh, in the mainstream press that uh, it turns out that before he did the, uh, you know, bragged, as it were, um, for his cred and was leaking these things to this very small group of 30 people or something online, that he was that he was doing the same thing with a much larger uh, group of people, about 300 is the guesstimate, before that. I don't know if you're aware of that.
0: No, I had not Mm -hmm. heard that. Yeah. So is this another chat room or, you know, Tumble or, or, you know, some of those dark websites, which, you know, Channel 8 or Channel 4 or whatever?
2: Yeah, something like 8chan or something like that. It wasn't 8chan, but... But the bottom line is, God knows how many others he was putting the, these classified documents on.
0: Well, I think my, the point of Georgia was the precedent that it sets. Now, again, yeah. it's not going to set a precedent in law because it's going to be at least a year or two years before this guy comes to trial, I think. But in terms of public opinion, in terms of surrounding Trump's behavior, with this example – of how radically wrong that behavior can be. I I really, you know, given that I look at everything now through a 3D lens and I always ask, what's the story behind the story behind the story? I think, George, you have a very interesting uh, set of antenna there.
6: Well, like I said, I just wanted to see what you all thought about it because the, the bells went off for me on that one.
2: To me, to me, all of these cases, not only that one, but the one in Georgia, uh, the E. Gene Carroll case, the Stormy Daniels case, the um, special counsel Jack Davis, hope to God he does something. I believe that the cumulative effect of all of those is what will make a difference in the election, even if Trump apparently is the Republican nominee, the likely nominee. And the reason is, is that presidential elections, more than any other, are determined by the swing voters. And the swing voters uh, aren't going to like these results.
0: Yeah. Well, I would think, given what I saw in 2020 and 2022, in terms of the election, that one of the prime problems that the Democrats have is getting people out to the polls. You know, the reason Republicans win is because Democrats don't show up. If there's one thing...
2: They're showing up because of the abortion.
0: Well, that's the other thing, because remember, it was Trump who put the people on the court who got rid of Roe. It all goes back to Trump in 2016 and 2017. That's when we took this bizarre side trail that we've never been down before, certainly to this extent. <clears throat> and it's taken people kind of a, a while to get used to the weirdness. But based on the turnout in 2020 and 2022, I do not think the Biden folks are going to have any problem getting both Democrats and independents to the polls because the independents are independent because they, they actually look. They look at both sides and they make a weighted decision. And when you look at Biden compared to, to Trump, it's, uh, come on, there's no contest at so many levels. It requires a cult to get him in the, in the uh, primary.
2: Well, I do agree with Marvin that Biden is almost like your quintessential Democrat. He's not only timid, but he's terribly boring. <laughs>
0: There's nothing in the Constitution that says the president has to be no. an inspiring no. guy.
2: No, but it's always better.
0: Well, yeah, of course it's better. But look at his incredible accomplishments in just two years. What they put on the books now in terms of the infrastructure and the other laws that have passed are going to benefit this nation for the next generation, 20 years to come. In ways that are triggering the private sector and private enterprise and good old you know, capitalists to see where the wind is blowing and to get there first for the new customers. I mean, what Biden has done so far, I believe, is is as transformative for the 21st century America that I'm going to live the rest of my life in as what FDR did was in determining the America that I wasn't born into until very late in his, I think, fourth administration.
2: Don't everybody talk at once.
0: (laughs) (laughs) They're all pondering, (laughs) pondering. Marvin, thoughts? Oh,
1: I I, I actually was pondering, and I give uh, President Biden high marks on uh, the infrastructure bill and, and and all all the rest. Uh, I I just hope that uh, he will be bold in other respects. I can live with with boring, but. Uh, I, I do believe that there is a point at which one can be patient with other people, but uh, there comes a time to
0: draw the line. Well, the thing that I find interesting is they kind of backed into the democracy thing in the midterms. Uh, but right now, forthright in that video and in his speech before that union a few hours later, Biden effectively said the reason he's running for reelection is the choice between democracy or fascism freedom or chattelism in other words a huge choice spearheaded by one nice boring guy on the one hand and the other by a guy that in any sane country you would never have elected donald trump unless there was such dissatisfaction at the grassroots level with what had gone on before decade after decade of parent indecision and indecisiveness and things not working, the people, as I said, you know, when he was running, I said, people are going to bet on Trump because they see nothing else is going to change the game. And I was right on the air in magnetic recordings. I'm on record. I said Trump was going to win and uh, nobody believed me. But of course, history happened.
6: You know, Richard, uh, I'm an independent. I think that that both parties, at least what the Republicans used to be, are vitally important to make this country run right. And I think both of them are necessary. Having said that, however, in these particular days, you know, I grew up in a military family going to sleep listening to Voice of America and Radio Free <laughs> Europe. And the idea that books are being banned in this country is just anathema it's nuts it's insanity as as an artist spending you know hours and hours in life drawing classes the idea that Michelangelo's David is considered pornography (laughs) is also anathema and as a woman the idea that I don't have sovereignty over my own body is absolutely unacceptable. And if I feel that way, I know a lot of independents are going to feel that way.
0: Do you remember how you and I have talked about the 2024, 2025 time frame on the Hindu calendar, the astrology, yeah. the processional cycle, all saying that that window, that period of time is going to be absolutely, you know, shatteringly important for world history, not just American history. Well, look look at what's going to happen in that in that window leading up to the 2024 election, where I think it's going to be Trump and Biden. We also have uh, nine, 10, 11, 12 human beings in November or thereabouts of 2024 are going back to the moon for the first time in over half a century. There are there are 24, 25 sets of eyeballs in that group. One of the group has not signed any non-disclosures that we we can track down. Those human beings are going to be in lunar orbit looking down on stunning artificial ruins just before the 2024 election. And the current president in the Oval Office specifically requested from NASA a moon rock that looks like an artifact, like something in a kid's toy box sitting there on the shelf in the oval office does not look like anything natural at all. And it's Biden who asked it be put there. Does he know more about what's coming than he's led on so far? Is that- did he
2: ask for that particular rock? Yes. How, what, how did he ask for it? What did he think it was?
0: During, the, during this weird, bizarre transition, he said he wanted a specific rock, from the NASA collection, and he gave them the number. And when you look at the number, when you look at the, the close-up image on the screen, it's two octet- octahedra back to back, like a double pyramid, four sides on top and four sides on the bottom, with a chunk taken out on the side where it was whacked by something, but it's symmetrical, it's measured, it's obviously an artifact, and it's sitting in the Biden White House waiting for what?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember you putting the photograph up on the screen.
0: Oh, it's stunning. In fact, I can you know, do it again. We, uh, you know, I will...
2: Richard. Go ahead. You you know
0: how
6: there's so much ritual in NASA and, and this whole space program. Why didn't someone tell Musk not to shoot his rocket
0: off the day Mercury went went to base? Oh, God. <laughs> I don't know. But remember, he has this philosophy that the bigger you fail, the faster you make progress. And he's got these rockets in a, in a warehouse there in Boca Chico. I think they're up to eight or ten that are produced. So they don't have to wait. They just have to wait for the FAA to, to give them clearance again. They have to rebuild the pad. But his fly and explode as opposed to wait on the ground uh, and make sure everything is perfect. That's what racks up huge amounts of money, and his rockets are much cheaper than NASA's, so we can afford to blow them up if he learns something critical about the next one in so doing, which he has done. I mean, look, the Falcon 9, which used to blow up regularly, is now the most reliable space transportation system anyone has ever designed and built in the history of the American, or any other space program. So obviously, Musk's strategy has some benefits.
2: But but Richard, surely he would have preferred it not to blow up, right?
0: I would think so. One would think, yeah. (laughs) I
2: don't think you could spin it as a success, but they're trying to get as much positive out of it as they can.
0: I disagree totally. If If it had worked perfectly, you wouldn't know until the next one if you just lucked out. The fact that they had a perfect flight up until staging, which is a hard part of rocketry, and yet it held together as it kept spinning lazily, I was dumbfounded. Rockets aren't supposed to be able to do that. That's like uh, the couple of guys back when Boeing was putting out the 707. Uh, I, was in a, I was in a restaurant um, at Reagan National, where it was called Reagan National, many years ago before a flight having breakfast, and the guy at the counter, he knew the story of the two pilots for Boeing that came in, had breakfast, took their 707 out over the Atlantic, and rolled it deliberately. It was not designed to be rolled, but they got away with it because Boeing had over-specked the aircraft, so it literally could roll 360 with no problems. That's the kind of over-design that Musk demonstrated in the flight. And so whatever trivial thing went wrong, I'm really thinking the next one is going to work brilliantly because, of course, he's also not going to be launching during a Mercury retrograde.
2: (laughs) You know, I was interested when you opened the show, Richard, that you didn't include the blow-up of of the rocket, of of Musk's rocket, uh, because after all, even though he has, you know, military contracts and such, or his Skylink system of satellites, um, nevertheless he is he is considered a civilian operator. And you were itemizing all of these, you know, non-government crafts that didn't make it. No,
0: no, 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 no,
2: no, 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 no,
0: no, 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 no,
2: yeah, I know the he is, moon.
0: He is light years from going to the moon yet.
2: No, well, I understand that, but you contrasted those with, as you said, all of these government programs mm-hmm. that succeed. But Musk's rocket blowing up was an example, even though it wasn't to the moon. It was intended to be part of the process to get to the moon, and it blew up. So I just, I think we might want to maybe think of it in the category of. Civilian launches or missions. That well,
0: work? I don't agree for a bunch of reasons. One thing is that Musk is the prime contractor on the Starship lander for the Artemis program, so the going to the moon with the Starship is part of the NASA government program. Number two, it's only private launches that get near the moon that seem to have a problem. In Earth orbit, look at Rocket. Uh, uh, the, the folks from New Zealand. Uh, look at the folks from Northern California. There's all kinds of private spacecraft in Earth orbit looking down and taking pictures. And you can pennies on the Internet. It's only going to the moon that seems to be a problem at the moment. And it may be because the in crowd is not sharing the total environment of what's at the moon with the out crowd, which, of course, is what I would do if I was an in crowd and not wanting any you know, kind of prying eyes to see what's really there until it's time.
2: Yeah, I understand.
0: Okay, so far we don't have Mick Harrison. It looks like we may not be having Mick for the rest of the evening. I hope he's okay. Um, And I
2: did call and email again and text again. I think he just forgot because this show has been postponed a number of times and he probably thought it was not going to happen. It was only
0: postponed once. And I did send around an email uh, a couple days ago, so – Anyway, be that as it may, we're coming up to the top of the hour. Um, when we come back, I want you to go through your items, Barbara. And then okay. I'm I want uh, going to have this, um, shall we say, sidebar conversation with Georgia about the metaphysics of all this. Because I do think the times are uniquely conspiring to bring out truth in whatever guise it's out there. Ultimately, truth is outing. And I think the Fox settlement is an example.
2: It is. I agree.
0: Okay. We've got a couple of minutes to kill before the uh, top of the hour. What do you want to start and then pick up on the other side?
2: Are you talking to me? Mm-hmm. Well, um, why don't we hold on? Let me go to my items. Um, you want to tell people what to do to get to items? Or... Yeah, let's do, do I... that.
0: Um, go to the other side of midnight.com. Click on tonight's banner for April 30th which has that very cute AI-generated fox as part of the subject of tonight's show. Click on that band That will take you to the guest page. Right under the guest page, you'll see fast links to items. Click on Barbara's name.
2: Okay. All right. So.
0: And we got 30 (laughs) seconds. (laughs)
2: Well, I think I'll wait then.
0: Okay. All right. Uh, Let me see. I want to do something. What do I want to do? I wanted to do something dramatic. Um, I can't do that. Let me do this. Okay. You're on the other side of midnight. You're listening to Barbara Honiger, George Lambert, and Marvin Jones. And we shall return to this very intriguing and multilateral conversation, which is going to include another Supreme Court justice found flaunting the rules when we return. Thank you.
4: Membership costs $9.95 a month 33 cents a day Support the broadcast that provides you with the most interesting conversation available Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought TheOtherSideOfMidnight.com
0: Welcome back, everyone, on this now Sunday night, Monday morning, going into the uh, drive time back east, the usual parade of endless vehicles going into city after city after city. Welcome to the other side of midnight for this uh, Monday morning. I think it's May 1st. I think it's May Day. I could talk to a former Soviet uh, uh, commissar, and he would tell me, I don't need to. It is May 1st here on the other side of midnight. Our guests this morning are Georgia Lambert, Barbara Honiger, and Marvin Jones. Marvin is our citizen historian. Barbara used to work in the Reagan White House as a uh, policy advisor in a Republican Reagan White House, I should say. And Georgia Lambert is our independent metaphysician who has been discussing with me for many, many, many months the most interesting and unique times that the United States is going through. And I I, I just can't help feel, guys, there's nothing normal about our politics. And somehow, and I don't want to use the term divine in the wrong way, but I'm almost thinking, Georgia, that at some level, if we hadn't ordered Trump, we would have been commanded to because he is the vehicle by which so many of the injustices and inequities and problems with our system are going ultimately to, if not be fixed, at least be addressed. What yeah, do you think?
6: I mean, he's, a, he's a catalyst. And uh, if it wasn't him, the subconscious of the population would have evoke someone else to fill that role because it's time for a lot of this stuff that's been simmering under the surface in terms of prejudice and separative thought and all of this kind of stuff it's time that it comes to the surface so that it can be dealt with because you can't fix what you don't see absolutely right
2: it made visible
6: yep Yeah. You know, as I said before, there's a wonderful book by Baygent and Lee who are known for their Holy Blood, Holy Grail book. They also wrote a book called Messianic Legacy, which is very interesting. And there, there's one chapter that's discussing uh, World War II and the whole Hitler thing. And they made the point that at the end of World War I, uh, nobody really won that war. It was the war that nobody wanted and everybody wanted, and nobody won and everybody won, and it was it was just ambiguous. And so it
2: actually only went to armistice. It never was even a
6: peace. The- yeah. The the point that they were making is that uh, Germany, as a nation, gave embodiment to an evil that could be seen. And when something is given shape and form it can be stood against.
2: Yeah, it, it reminds me of the Catholic Church and so many. It's still coming out. It's just this, this horrible stench of what some of the priests and bishops and even cardinals have done. Um, you know, this is presumably the moral authority for, for 1.2 or whatever billion people. And look at yeah. the people who are running the show. And I'm not talking about this particular pope, but there's there's just um, it's like the dirty. It's like Trump just waved the the evil side of America in in the face of
0: Americans in the world.
6: He gave people permission to speak on what was in their subconscious,
0: and, and sometimes not in their subconscious, not, not even yeah. in their subconscious. Yeah. Yeah. Remember, I grew up on the south side of the Mason-Dixon line. My parents were literally run out of town for serving, you know, Negro Americans, as they were called in those days. And the church fathers came across the street, and I watched them threaten my parents. with with oh Well, yeah, I mean, we will drive you out. We will make it economically impossible for you to be here and, and, because we had a bed and breakfast and a restaurant. And the bed and breakfast was occupied by a lot of engineers and uh, workers who were working up on the mountains on the so-called dew line, you know, connecting the polar regions radars with the White Mm -hmm. House, the Situation Room and all that back during the late 1950s. And what these guys would do when we first moved in, the Methodist Church across the street, they would ring their Sunday bell maybe a dozen times. By the time we left to move to greener pastures in a place called Gaithersburg, closer to uh, Washington, incidentally. Um, They were ringing that bell on Sunday mornings to awaken all our tourists, our guests, our paying customers that kept us alive, that kept us in operation. They were ringing it from 140 to 200 times. Absolute outright moral abdication of any kind of morality in the name of hate of black Americans and anybody who associated with them, who dealt with them as people, as friends, as normal human beings. That was my parents' sin. So I grew up very early on seeing the choice between right and wrong and how it made real differences in real people's lives. We
6: went from living on the estate of a count and countess in Italy to a year in Montgomery, Alabama, in the late 50s when the KKK was burning churches. Oh, my churches. gosh.
0: And what happened?
6: Well, that was, that was my first encounter with that kind of prejudice. I would never, in my wildest imagination, uh, thought that something like that could go on. And it was a very rude awakening. And then there was another kind of separateness that we experienced um later on in my teenage years uh in Germany
2: right after the wall went up,
6: and seeing the fresh wreaths on the barbed wire the day before
2: yeah, as Danny Sheehan, and the famous uh, Pentagon papers and you know Karen Silkwood and other attorneys, a Contra attorney um he's one of he's on the advisory. Committee, for our Lawyers Committee for 9-11 Inquiry. And, um, you know, we have long, hours-long conversations at his house uh, many times. I've known him for 45, 50 years. And one of his favorite sayings is, well, better to be disillusioned than illusion. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely.
0: (laughs) Well, remember when Trump was running And I said that he had a better than even shot because for so many generations, fundamental systemic problems in the society have been neglected. Money has flowed to the top, to the 10th of 1%, to the oligarchs, to billionaires and all that. And the Democrats and the Republicans did nothing to stem the tide. So ultimately, there was a counter wave, counter wave by a guy who knew how to package it, you know was Trump. And, I and the
2: absurdity is he claimed to be a multi-billionaire, even though he wasn't.
0: But people identified with his person. Remember Roddenberry's rule. If it's real, it will be on television. Donald Trump was for 14 seasons or 14 years real on NBC. We have our first, not Reagan, but Donald Trump elected television president because Reagan was actually a real thing he had he had political chops he had background he had been elected to public office he'd run and won for governor he knew yeah. the system he was not an actor dropped into you know the white house from 30,000 feet trump was in yeah. fact in fact the thing that i really don't know whether i believe or not is the constant rumor that trump himself that night did not think he was going to win and i He didn't expect to win. He
2: was like a deer in the headlights when he walked out at 2 or 3 a.m. in the morning. He was in shock.
0: Well, I want to know how we know that, because frankly, I think that putting him in charge of the United States as part of a very uh, deliberate subterranean effort to destroy the country, if he had been deliberately planted as a guy to do what he's done, it couldn't have had more damage. So then the question is, goes back to FDR. Remember FDR's famous quote, in politics, there's no such thing as coincidence. So my question is, apart from Putin, who else really helped Donald Trump get elected so he could then do what we have seen him do over the last seven years?
2: Yeah, well, James Bamford just came out uh, with evidence and claim that it was actually the Israelis. Really? Yeah, you haven't seen that, at no, all no, 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 oh, no. i
0: uh, Samper normally writes about satellites and space and all that. Um,
2: well, no, and NSA, this big book called the, uh, the Secret Factory. Yeah, well, or space,
0: space, satellites, for kind of all that, you know. So I'm, I'm not, I, I did not see the latest column. What did he say?
2: Well, uh, I'll send it to you. I don't have it in front of me, but the gist of it is that, um, it, that the, <laughs> you'll love this. Uh, that the Russians had, in fact, hacked into the DNC, but the Russians hadn't initiated the direct contact with the Trump campaign people through his campaign chairman, uh, Paul Manafort, and others, but that it was the Israelis, this is a claim, that the Israelis hacked into Russian intelligence and saw that Russian intelligence had gotten the DNC information. And then the Israelis made the deal with trump Hmm. it's very interesting who knows
0: well when you look at his public relations with netanyahu and where netanyahu is trying to take israel right now by essentially destroying the three you know sections of government executive legislative and judicial by hobbling the supreme court
2: wants to control the judicial
0: yeah which means anything he does, like Nixon said, to David Frost, when the president, uh, the prime minister does it, it's not illegal. He's, the law. They're, they're trying to extract exactly, Netanyahu with Trump's help, because he was very faithful all those years to, to Netanyahu. He has basically brought the state of Israel to the brink of constitutional crisis, even more bizarre than ours. And ours is not in, in good stead. Look again at Dobbs.
6: Yeah. And I think it's important that you're mentioning this because it's important to realize that these these grapplings with with ethics and who we want to be is not just something that's going on in this country. In In many different ways, it's going on all over the world because it's time for humanity to deal with these things.
0: Which gets back to, is it time in the physics, in the cycles? in the larger frame of which we're immersed, like, you know, a wasp and amber, this background physics, the field, the hyperdimensional connection, to me, this unique time every 26,000 years when things line up celestially with the galaxy and all that, that's when things, radically interesting things or radically horrible things can get done most easily because you're in this window where the physics is helping whoever pushes ahead.
6: Exactly. It's like the, the old example of you have a bowl of water with mud at the bottom and your job is to get the mud out. You don't sit there with a spoon because you'll never get all of it. And every time you move the spoon, it just you know disturbs the mud at the bottom and it all gets cloudy. The way to do it is you turn on the tap water, you hold the bowl under the tap water, you don't chicken out and you let that Flush of clean water, wash out all of the mud. But it's really uncomfortable at first because all the mud is up and and moving around. And that's when you don't chicken out. You just keep it under that clean water, and eventually it gets flushed out. Well, the physics is providing us the clean water. The question is, do we chicken out or not?
0: <laughs> no. I don't. I don't. I don't see us chickening out. I see all of these decision points. Mandating at the ordinary voter level that they somehow make a damn decision—they can't sit on the sidelines. Right.
2: Well, the, the major problem we have with the, with the Trump matter, Republicans, is they don't accept the decision. That—that's where we are. I mean, well, if, we, if you want to destroy the
0: stuff. country, if you want to undermine the system, remember when when Trump was in Kansas City. I'm paraphrasing because I don't have it in front of me, but he basically said, don't believe your eyes and ears, just believe me.
6: Have you seen their latest slogan on some of the commercials? Make America Great for Us. Oh, chilling.
0: Oh, yes. Chilling.
6: You've seen that, Marvin, haven't you? Oh, yes. I I saw that last
0: night. It's so obvious. It's not even a, you know, they used to talk about dog whistles. No, there's them the us, and then there's all the rest of us who were not them.
2: That's right. It's the ultimate divide and attempt to conquer, except they're foolish, in my opinion, because, by the way, just for the record, I'm an independent. I always have been. I happen to be in the in the Reagan White House and Justice Department by a fluke, but that's a story for another day. Um, I've run for Congress twice as an independent here in the Monterey Peninsula, uh, on a
0: 9-11 truce platform. Well, wait, 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 we wait, 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 wait. We, have plenty of, we have plenty of time since Mick is not with us. Tell us how you wound up as an independent in the Reagan White House, which, of course, was viewed contemporaneously. Reagan was viewed like, like Trump is now by some quarters. And, of course, he was not anything like Trump. He, you know, Ronald Reagan had a moral sense. How do we know that? You read his damn diary written in his own hand.
2: Know. Reagan was, what you saw really was what you got with Reagan. I, I actually loved the person as a soul and an individual. There was something magnificent about that man. Um, the, the, the problem that he, that he allowed was that he delegated too much. He delegated to men who didn't have the moral compass that he did because he was basically held banker's hours he didn't he didn't do that much uh he delegated to meese baker and deaver who were the troika around him immediately below him and they were not honest people but anyway to answer your question it was um maybe fluke isn't quite the right word but i was working for doc we've already gone over this on previous shows but i know that you have new audience we members. have
0: new members yes um,
2: Mm-hmm. I ended up in uh, in the first Reagan administration, as well as the very highest level of the 1980 campaign, the transition after Reagan and Bush Sr. won, and into the West Wing of the White House actually something like three, four, or five days before Carter even left, uh, because I was part of the transition team that went in actually early uh, during the very tail end of the hostage crisis. So anyway, I ended up there because... I was at Stanford University for years and years as a graduate at large student and in my graduate work my parents put me through undergrad but not through grad. So I had to um, basically work part-time to put myself through graduate school which I did at Stanford University in California and uh, one of the major professors uh, or you know VIPs if you will at Stanford University, and there are dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of them at a major university in this country, um, I happened to end up at the Hoover Institution. It was a job I applied for in the Stanford Daily newspaper, the student newspaper, and I got the job. And my job, um, I was with Dr. Martin Anderson for six years, and Dr. Anderson happened to have been tapped by Ronald Reagan to be his chief domestic policy advisor. So Marty and I, for a few years... Did
0: did Anderson work for Reagan when he was governor? No. Oh.
2: No. Um, Anderson started working with Reagan when Reagan first ran for president. And most people don't realize this, but Reagan didn't actually get the nomination until he ran for a third time. In 1976, he'd run at the Republican Convention against Ford and barely lost.
0: Do you remember the conversation about co-presidencies back then i was
2: there in 1980 at the republican convention i was running the platform and speech writing office and it was in our office where um president ford uh, came in with henry kissinger henry kissinger was pushing ford as being co-president and they had a negotiation on the top floor of the renaissance center our office was two floors down on the on the uh, third, second floor down from the top, and um and uh, Reagan just couldn't abide by having a co-president, and that's
0: when George H. W. Bush just. Wait, 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 wait! This is where Marvin. Goes. Marvin, is there such an yeah. idea as co-presidency in the Constitution? No.
1: Oh no, no.
0: Then no, where no. would Kissinger have gotten such a wacky idea?
2: Well, that was just a a, a lay term for it. They didn't mean it literally, but what what uh, Ford was trying to negotiate was to basically make decisions together. I mean, a president and a vice president can do whatever they want once they're in office. So this was kind of like a prenuptial agreement. Uh, but Reagan wouldn't wouldn't stand for it. He wanted he was president. If he won, he was going to be president. So he said no.
0: Which of course was the right decision.
2: Yeah, it was absolutely the right decision. And Lynn Nosager was one of the main people, and my boss, Martin Anderson, who told him he should say no. And he said no. And so that's how George H.W. Bush became the vice presidential running group. Um, but anyway, bottom bottom line is I was working for this person simply as a job. I was basically a ghostwriter for him, for some of his books on military subjects. I'm co-author on a book we did together called The Military Draft. And um Dr. Anderson had been uh, had been President Nixon's the top advisor to President Nixon on the issue of the of the um of the uh the domestic draft of the peacetime draft and he basically got Nixon to end the peacetime draft in the United States and to go to the all-voluntary military that was his calling card and Reagan was all in Reagan is all, Reagan was all in favor of volunteerism um, so, so let,
0: me, let me stop you there because when I look I of course lived through it but i come to appreciate that Richard Nixon apart from his bizarre personality quirks that got him into horrible trouble. He was really a centrist Republican who kind of chose equally from interesting Democrat ideas and Republican ideas, like, for instance, uh, the Environmental Protection Agency. That came out of Nixon.
2: Yeah, and and a lot of social programs Nixon put in place.
0: Yeah, who who was the senator from New York? Oh, uh, oh, um, Irish, Irish, Moynihan, 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 yeah, Moynihan almost got him to implement a guaranteed national income in the 70s of like six thousand dollars per year, which would have lifted everybody from poverty and created a totally different America that Trump could not have exploited.
2: Yeah, yeah. Nixon basically pushed the whole uh, new society idea yeah. from inside the Republican Party.
0: Yeah. So then the question comes: Was Nixon set up by the plumbers to get rid of him because his ideas were too anathema to hard right Republicans who never came out in public in those days?
2: Well, there's that's. I think that should be another show. Yep. I mean, there there is a lot. There's a lot of really good scholarship on that, and we could, you know, go over those
0: books. Uh, the
2: Yankee Cowboy War, um, what really happened in uh, in Watergate, what's really going on behind the scenes. Do you know
0: Watergate? there's a new television series called The White House Plumbers that basically <laughs> debuts tomorrow, which has uh, no, which has so. uh, uh, Woody Harrelson playing um, oh Howard Hunt and some brilliant actor playing, you know, the, the, uh, the crazy guy. Um, G, the Gordon must, G, Gordon G. Gordon Liddy. G. Gordon Liddy. Liddy. With, with, do you know I got to interview G. Gordon Liddy many, many, many years ago? Wow. I actually yeah. got him before a microphone and got to ask him some very interesting questions on the record.
2: Did he, did he tell you anything important?
0: I don't remember. <laughs> because it wasn't the right time. It was too soon for most people to realize how deep the rot has gone to to appreciate anything that someone like Liddy, who by then was a convicted criminal, um, would basically be saying. But it was just kind of a nice get because I got a chance to ask him a number of questions, some of which he answered, some of which he would not. So.
2: You know, Richard, if I, if I could, you wanted to do this after the break. If I could go through my items, um, because there's a theme here in the major one of my items that you wanted to cover, and we, you did it a little bit, but I think it's really critical. And that is that there's a lot of really important, profound truths coming out. And um, if it's time to do that, I
0: could do that quickly. Yeah, well, let's, no, let's not do anything quickly. We've got plenty of time you have you have about five minutes now, and then we'll have a half hour on the other side, so no, not just
2: for me, no no, no, okay, so anyway, re- really quick if um uh, you've already told folks how how to go to our items and you go to Barbara's items number one uh number one is simply one of the best coverages of um the Fox Dominion settlement that I've seen, so it doesn't require any further comment. This is chris Hayes on m s n b c all in um so that doesn't require any further comment. Seeing as we are talking about. By the
0: way, I, I, I must interject a joke here, <clears throat> given the fact uh-huh. that everybody is saying that Biden is too old. <laughs> he made a really yeah. great joke last night during the correspondence dinner, which, of course, is dedicated to the idea of the First Amendment, the press, et cetera, et cetera. Um, uh-huh. He started introducing the guests in the audience. And he said, well, we've have you know we've got a correspondence here from MSNBC, who, of course, is owned by NBC Universal." And then he says, we have correspondence here from Fox, which is owned by Dominion. And the room broke (laughs) up.
3: That's
2: great. (laughs) So go ahead. That's a really good joke. I missed that one.
0: (laughs) He has good writing. And Steve. what I was intrigued with, you know, for people who keep saying that Biden is so damn old, I've known old people. Biden does not act old. He acts like someone with a disability, namely his stuttering, and someone who had a huge stuttering problem, namely yours truly, I know what it feels like to be in the middle of something important, and suddenly the right word cannot be there, so you have to improvise. You know, I watch him through very different eyes than most people. I see his policy decisions, I see his thinking, I see what he's done with Europe and Ukraine, and herding cats is nothing like trying to herd the NATO people. He's expanded NATO, which is a peaceful deterrent organization. It will never invade Russia, ever, 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 ever. Put that nonsense out of your hat. But it did put a, put a wall in front of Putin's fascistic expansionist idea to reconstitute the old Soviet Union or the Russian Empire. And that's why Biden is hated by a large number of people who don't really know what he's done.
2: You know, I never, personally, I never said he was too old. I just said I thought he was boring. There's a difference. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I, I agree with most of his policies also. So number two uh, of my items, seeing as we're talking about 2024, I think it's important for people to realize, if you don't already, that that uh, Robert Kennedy's son, Robert Kennedy Jr., has announced
0: that he will challenge... Oh, that's, our... All right. Let, let, we're at the bottom of the hour. Hold that right okay. there. Whoops. I hit the wrong button. Ha. hate when that happens. Don't you like when that happens? No, you don't. You're on the other side of midnight. We're at the bottom of the hour, one half hour to go. I'm going to open the phone lines. I'm going to give you the numbers after we come back. If you want to join the conversation, if you have any irrepressible thoughts about all the constitutional and political stuff that we've been talking about, feel free to join us. We shall return. (laughs)
3: Thank <laughs> you.
0: Welcome back, everyone, on this Sunday night, Monday morning, well after the uh, Hour of the Witching here in the Land of Enchantment on an early, early Monday morning. My guests are Barbara Honiger and Georgia Lambert, and Marvin Jones is with us, and I'm going to open the phone lines if you want to join our merry band and have something interesting that we've missed, or something that you think we should bring up that We've been avoiding, can imagine what that is, area code 917-889-8802, 917-889-8802. And now we'll go back to Barbara, who, of course, has something interesting to say in terms of item number two.
2: So before the break, um, I just raised my item number two is... Robert Kennedy's son, Robert Kennedy Jr., has now formally announced that he is challenging Biden, of all things, for the 2024 Democratic nomination. And you may have noticed that it was only a few days after that, that Biden made a kind of a very strange announcement. If you look carefully at the wording of the announcement, he formally announced his intention to run. Now, that's been parsed in many headlines in the mainstream press and television, that he announced. He actually formally announced his intention to run. And I think that's probably to try to to squelch anybody besides Robert Kennedy Jr. from announcing a challenge to him. Now, what's interesting about RFK Jr. doing this is I don't think, if Biden does run, I don't think there's a chance that Robert Kennedy Jr., uh, would get the nomination. I think he knows that. But he's actually said, when he announced, when RFK Jr. announced, he said, well, you know, the mainstream media tried to shut me up for, for uh, you know, years. And so now they're going to get it. They're going to hear a lot from me in the next um, bully, bully puppet for, for the next 18 or so months. So, I, so he's using his platform as a candidate uh, to get across his message which is basically a medical freedom message. Now, what's fascinating about this is he could be a real wild card in this election. Um, Because, believe it or not, I don't think it would happen. But I think it's really clear that if Trump is the Republican nominee, the vice presidential running mate slot is wide open. It's not going to be Pence. Not after he basically calls
0: for Pence. Well, he was well, the one bit of news that people may not know is that the other day all the legal challenges collapsed. The Supreme Court ruled, and Vice President Pence, for the first time ever, was forced to testify in front of a grand jury headed by the special prosecutor for the Department of Justice about what he and Trump talked about in those critical days surrounding the insurrection. So that has not leaked. Everybody is keeping, you know, to the to the council that they that they should. But now on the record for the first time is presumably Pence's unexpurgated version of what happened in those final days. So, yeah, I think the safe money, Barbara, is that do not bet on Trump to be Trump's new vice president. (laughs) I'm
2: sorry, I couldn't hear you. You you cut out. I said, I said,
0: do not bet on on Pence to be Trump's new vice president
2: never going to be Pence never never he would never choose Pence so the vice presidential slot is open and obviously um, Haley uh, Nikki Haley is trying to run for that slot but what's fascinating here I don't think Trump would do it but he just might um, when Robert Kennedy Jr. assuming Biden does get the nomination and it'd be Biden Harris again almost certainly um, RFK Jr. What, what happens to him believe it or not Roger Stone has been advising Trump to offer his vice presidential slot
0: to Robert Kennedy Jr. You're kidding.
2: No, I'm not.
0: Oh, my gosh.
2: And so is Steve Bannon.
0: How interesting. You
6: You know, Richard, in a previous show, we talked about the very real possibility that something strange would happen where Biden and Trump would not be the runners.
0: Yeah, that was in about three or four street. weeks ago like. Yes. Yeah. Well, what's That's interesting according to Gallup and I forget what other name polls that are reliable and of course polls this far out are basically worth the uh, you know what the vice presidency used to be said to be worth. We will not quote that on the air. <laughs> but it's possible that neither one is going to be the nominee because we're so far out, in which case Does it become a jump ball? If it's not Biden, it's going to have to be Harris for a whole bunch of reasons. It's going to to be. It would
2: almost certainly be Harris, but I don't think RFK Jr. would accept the vice presidential
0: slot. Uh, I have not heard any of his his um, responses to that. You know, if if anybody's putting that up as a a possibility.
2: No, they haven't yet. No.
0: Okay. So then the thing is, what does what does uh, Trump do to get? that percentage of the independents the middle to move in their direction republicans direction and he's got to do something outside the box that is so different and so again to the heart of people's uncomfortableness with being ignored by the government for decade after decade after decade which is the base of his support the disgruntled voter the disgruntled white guys he doesn 't have not to move
2: just white, not just white guys
0: he doesn 't have to move a lot of people well, that's primarily his backbone if you look at the demographic, but he doesn't I mean, have to move also, a lot of other not people also
2: white women it's also a certain section of women
0: well, okay, my point is if he were to do something so confusing to a mainstream thinking that looked like it was cross the crossing the bridge you know between Democrats and Republicans because most people desperately want two sides to get together and do something. Mm -hmm. I think, remember Lincoln, you can fool some of the people all the time and some of the people some of the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. All you have to do is fool enough of those people on the right and in the middle and you get Trump again because he is hell of a good salesman. Regardless of what's going on, he just has this ability, this Bengali ability to create this aura and nobody else in the Republican
2: Trump is the unexpected. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it actually, it's not beyond the realm of possibility that he would offer the VP slot to RFK jr. And that would really throw that race wide open in
0: my opinion. Oh my gosh. Yes.
2: Yeah. So if I could move them to, to really work, what I want to focus on here for like, maybe five minutes and then throw it open because I don't want to monopolize this. But you asked me to go over my my items. Um, There is a huge amount of important truth about what really matters that is coming out. Now, I'm the chairman. I'm not here uh, on behalf of the Lawyers Committee for 9-11 Inquiry, but as a private citizen, of course, a kind of, you know, citizen intelligence agent kind of like Robert stuff.
0: <laughs> I was thinking of him.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I'm going to mention him here in a moment because he's done something very important in this regard in the last few weeks. But my item number four is extremely important. So it's now been 23 years almost since, uh, since 9-11. And the the Lawyers Committee for 9-11 Inquiry and the 9-11 Truth Movement Architects and Engineers for 9-11, uh, it's... For 9/11 Truth, Richard Gage and Company. He's now no longer with Architects and Engineers. He's now on our board with me of the Lawyers Committee for 9/11 Inquiry. We have been we have been pushing both in the academic community, uh, in the citizen research community, in the courts, all the way to the Supreme Court, to get the forensic proof that 9/11 was an inside job out into the public domain and into the official record all the way to the Supreme court. Okay. Well, there was a breakthrough the other day and that was, um, it turns out, and that's my item number four. um, This is, um, this is an article, uh, an important, let's see. No, this one is an interview that Lieutenant former uh, Colonel, army Colonel Anthony Schaefer, who is head of, head of a uh, defense intelligence agency special operations command pentagon operation called able danger that was tracking the alleged future 9-11 hijackers uh, beginning in the year two thousand when they were already inside the united states and Tony, Tony Schaefer did this. Uh, there's, there's the link to go watch the interview. And uh, you, can, you I recommend starting to watch it at the 14, minute, uh, 14 minutes in because the beginning is not directly about 9-11. Okay. But from 14 minutes into the end. It's very important. And what Tony Schaefer reveals is that as head of Able Danger, having tracked two of the three main cells of the alleged future hijackers, of the 9-11 attacks for over a year and a half inside the United States, and then having been completely shut down the moment that Bush Jr. and Cheney took the White House, they shut down Able Danger. He has now gone public in this interview, just uh, April 12th, in which he's revealed that he has been approached to be a potential future defense witness By the defense attorneys for none other than Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, the alleged 9-11 mastermind, and the other four so-called 9-11-5 defendants in Guantanamo.
3: Hmm. And the
2: proposed defense strategy is that it was a U.S. government inside job and that the hijackers, the alleged hijackers, were used as patsies.
0: No, wait, let me, let me get this straight. <clears throat> we have not held the terrorists involved in 9-11 or all the ancillary you know, conspiracies around it in, in civil courts, in criminal court. They have been relegated to the Defense Department military tribunals out of Guantanamo, which is this kind of storage unit that we keep these so-called terrorists in until they're ready to be brought forward the tribunal. So you're saying...
2: There hasn't been a tribunal. There's never even been a tribunal in all these years.
0: All right. You're saying when they do come to trial... Yes, they come to trial. A portion of the U.S. government is literally looking as their formal defense that it was a conspiracy on the (laughs) part... That's astonishing. It hasn't made any headlines at all.
2: The defense attorneys from the Pentagon... According to Who Tuna are Shein, being
0: paid for by the U.S. military, the taxpayer, Correct. are looking at this as a defense, a conspiracy by the U.S. government, which involved these defendants. That's astonishing.
2: It's, it's astonishing, and it's critically important because it's true. It's precedent. It's incredible. Yes, it's incredible. Now, if you go down also what happened almost simultaneously with this, if you go down to my item number five, if you will, and then I'll just have one other thing to say after that. Um, I'm trying to I'm trying to scroll down myself. Here we go. Um, So if you go down to my item number five, um, this is a link to a declaration, an official declaration filed with the court. Under penalty of perjury, under oath, by a man by the name of Donald Canestrero, who has been working with none other than former Army Colonel Tony Schaefer in number four Hmm. for 10 years behind the scenes. And Canestrero is one of the top investigators for the Defense Department, the Pentagon's own defense team, for the 9 five alleged masterminds of the 9-11 attack. And Donald Panestero has just filed this, I think it's 22-page under oath declaration, which you've got to read. Because the declaration essentially says, bottom line, yeah, our guys did it. The 9-11-5 had the conspiracy to do it. But the whole thing was hijacked by the federal government that really did it. It's an inside job.
0: My God. I know. How come, how come, how come, Barbara, 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 going back to the First Amendment, Marvin, stand by. How come this isn't headline news in every major news organization on earth?
2: Well, that's a very good question, but it isn't yet. Well, the Florida Bulldog, if you see number five, that's by the Florida Bulldog. Now, why does the Florida Bulldog, there's only one official, real, mainstream, newspaper in the whole country that has been covering the facts and the truth about 9-11 from the get-go. And that's the Florida Bulldog.
0: Very appropriately and named. Is,
2: yeah. <laughs> and uh, and uh, Don, uh, Dan Christensen there is the, uh, the chief editor, and he writes, he does all this research on 9-11 and writes all the stories, including this one.
0: Would he be someone we should ask to come on with you and talk about this at more more length?
2: Uh, well, if he wants to. Yeah, you could you could approach him. I'm not going to be the one to approach him. I'm not going to use I'm not going to use the lawyer's committee. No, 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 no.
0: We can we can get to him separately. I just want to oh, know okay. if I can uh, arrange a show with him cuz to me this is almost like history is looking back. Remember there's the whole Watergate Plumbers thing now opening tomorrow night on I I think it's HBO. So we're looking at our history to see what we can learn. This is not such ancient history. And it laid, as lawyers love to say, foundation for everything we've seen happen since. 9-11
2: was the original sin of all of this mess that we're in. I'm not saying the JFK assassination wasn't important, but it was nothing like 9-11 because the mask of the deep state came off. 9-11. And 3,000, they weren't all Americans. Most people think that the almost 3,000 people who died were all Americans. No, there were something like uh, 82 uh, citizens, civilians of 82 nations who died on 9-11. The vast majority, of course, were Americans. Um, But Nothing, it, it doesn't compare in my in my mind with 9-11. And what's incredible here is what you are seeing here is the success of what I've personally been doing for 23 years, what what Richard Gage has personally been doing, and he's been on this show many times for 23 years, architects and engineers, our lawyers committee for 9-11 inquiry. We have succeeded in getting into the minds of the investigators and the defense attorney's for the 9-11-5s
0: in Guantanamo. See, this is one reason why I think Trump won initially. Because he promised, remember his statement there in uh, uh, before the North Carolina primary, I think, where he basically said it was the Bush family collaborating with the Saudis that resulted in 9-11? He never followed well, the,
2: up. The Saudis, the Saudis are just another layer into the past the onion. They didn't do it.
0: But Bush brought up the idea and then never followed up after he became president you mean trump 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 did i say bush i meant trump yeah
2: no no trump no it it, 9-11 happened under bush trump promised to do something about it and did diddly shit
0: yep but his followers are still thinking that's the guy we want in that office because he's going to raise the ruckus on our behalf his hold on the 30 percent is fascinating and goes back to georgia Georgia, what are the metaphysical implications of a Svengali or Swami or someone who has such mastery over a third of the population? Well,
6: part of the spiritual path of an individual or uh, a group, in this case a nation, is to um, be able to work through the illusion. Uh, Illusion is a term metaphysically used to describe mental distortion, where glamour is a phrase used to describe emotional distortion.
3: Hmm.
6: And and part of the work is to uh, unglamorize and to pierce the veil of illusion. As we were talking about a little bit earlier, we're in a time right now that's going to build, I think, you know, the, the tension and the force is going to build until after 2025, And the the nature of it is the truth will out. That uh, the the movement of the force is that which is going to bring truth to the surface in all kinds of different ways. So now's the time to catch the wave and surf this. Surf's up.
0: Marvin?
2: And then I'd just like to finish with just one other sentence. Okay. Robert Morningstar, I put him together with a guy by the name of Jim Scott, who in turn put Robert Morningstar together with James Files. And Robert has now done two, three, I believe, very critical interviews that you can see on his podcast. Uh, It's on his Substack page, I believe, Uh, the video, the, the, the archive video. And he's done these interviews with James Files, who I am absolutely convinced, having read James Files' book and having heard Robert Morningstar's recent two or three interviews online with him, that he was the shooter, the head shooter of JFK. And he tells you all the details about how and why it was done and how the CIA ran the operation, including the main recruiter. George H.W. Bush. Wow. You've got to listen to these interviews seriously. Robert Morningstar's Substack page, the interviews with James Files, F-I-L-E-S.
0: Well, what we can do is we can take a link and for, the, for the archive for Club 19.5 to Robert's uh, show and put it in your items so people just click on it when they get to that item.
2: Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll get that for you.
0: Excellent. Remind me, send it to Keith and to me so one of us remembers. <laughs> mm-hmm. okay. okay, let me give out the phone number again. People obviously are so intrigued in what we're saying, they don't want to call in. 917-889-8802. 917-889-8802. See, I'm looking at all of this terrestrial political stuff as going on as foreplay To the big, huge revolution when humanity is confronted with their real home, the real solar system, what the moon is really made of, what it looks like, what's on it, and other places we have visited. Because you cannot have that scale of a fundamental, historical, almost godlike revelation that it doesn't have some kind of collateral, real world political effects. And I'm wondering what well,
2: it would why... be like. It would be like the Copernican Revolution.
0: Exactly. So, given that we gave Donald Trump the evidence to do this in his first term, or at worst, carry it over into his second term, if he told the truth, the video, the evidence from his own space agency, the fact he could have called in his hand-appointed administrator to show him. The real pictures of what's really on the moon, the fact that he didn't do any of that and instead absconded to Mar-a-Lago with hundreds and hundreds of above-top-secret classified files makes me wonder, just going to throw this out there, did Donald Trump, given what happened in January 6th and all his other transgressions, did he simply choose to use this evidence to basically get him a get-out-of-jail-free card because ultimately his ultimate threat is to make public that which all the deep states never want to be known, which is what's really out there, who is out there, and their interaction with humanity. If he does this right, it will never even come to trial because they'll all say, we can't afford it out in public, and he gets away Scott Free.
2: It's called gray male.
0: Yeah. Is that his agenda and why he didn't act as a president to transform the earth back when he could have and he would have been adulated in history forevermore?
2: I have no comment on that. Somebody else?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, we shall see. Oh, you guys are so timid.
3: <laughs> <laughs> maybe
0: <not> maybe, <laughs> maybe, they're Democrats, Marvin. Marvin, what do you think?
1: Marvin? Well, at this point, I have just faded out, Richard.
0: <laughs> you have what? Faded
1: I out. Ha- I, I, ha- I have uh, faded out. This has been a long day for me. Aww. and Yeah, yeah, I, I am done.
0: Okay. So we have one opinion who basically doesn't want to make an opinion – and we have two opinions that basically say, well, I don't want to mis, you know misquote. What do you, what do you both think? Do you think that he could have had this as a reason why he didn't go public when he could have made a difference? And now it's all about saving his own skin. Oh, sure. I think that's a total possibility. But I mean, it was designed from the get go. He took the documents to mar a So going back to what you said earlier about the you know, unfortunate airman, because his plan was, I'm going to take stuff that's so dangerous that they will let me go rather than change the history of planet Earth.
6: Yeah, I think that's a real possibility. Whether that is the reason, who knows? I think that it'll
0: come out in the wash eventually. Well, remember, science is nothing if it's not prediction. If this model is correct, I will make a a bet with whoever wants to take me up on it that David's will never bring Trump to trial for Mar-a-Lago, ever. In fact, he he may... I don't
2: think he'll he'll probably do it for Mar-a-Lago, but I think he will do it for January 6th.
0: I'm wondering if this evidence isn't even a bulletproof vest against that. Because remember, if this this really is the secret, you know, let's look at the whole UFO thing. I'm going to, you know, talk to Bassett this week and see if the uh, Senate hearings, you know, a few days ago... Bore any fruit, but look at the whole posture of the United States government since nineteen forty seven Barbara I think you were the one who said they can't tell us because it's so terrible they dare not uh, well i was quoting uh, I was
2: quoting Trump about the j f k file
0: oh, I'm talking about the whole uFO ET thing Yeah,
2: no, no that was about Trump about the having seen the JFK files what Trump said afterwards he said well I've met from what I've seen now I don't think they should ever be released
0: they're too terrible so this is those few papers that have still not quite made it to full public disclosure which the law they're
2: still yeah and it's up to Biden to release them yeah. they were supposed to have been released already
0: and he is not So maybe, well, all right, we can spend all kinds of time thinking over the next week that the American people can't be told because literally we have about 30 seconds left in the program. I want to thank.
2: We can handle handle the truth. Tell us.
0: I think we can handle the truth. I think we've handled much worse truths. And again, you know, time is is on our side. Well, guys, I, I really want to thank everybody. This has been a rather remarkable morning where we've. Range the waterfront. Marvin, you can now go and quiet go oh. bed. And I want to thank Barbara and Georgia, and I want to definitely thank the audience, because we have uh, uh, covered a huge realm of things tonight that normally I was advised by art. Do not do politics. Well, politics these days are so unusual and supernatural and unearthly compared to any previous moment in history. And I think it falls perfectly within the purview of the other side, midnight. So until next weekend, remember, same time, same bat channel, third star on the left, straight on morning. Good night, everyone.